Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is our 75th in-season episode of the show. Wow. Uh-huh. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, hello. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I've finally thought out from Saturday, so happy to be here. We did it. We didn't have any 25 to 16 games where we were. It's true. So yeah. That's a positive. That's good. But there were some other things, actually the opposite. It went that the we opposite. Had. Right, yeah. uh, and we'll be talking about that. Here's our trip around the bases. We will start at the plate and discuss the Alabama Crimson Tide. Of course, lots to go over, and we will be very thorough talking about the entire weekend. Yes. Then we will advance to first. You will hear the conference conversation from it just means more softball the episode aired last night go check it out on the softball america youtube page or on the audio platform because the one thing not included on our podcast is the interview and we had a great chat with mississippi state's aspen wesley it was a lot of fun talking with her and talking about the the week that mississippi state had looking forward and uh some stuff about starkville mississippi too yeah a place mentioned that you've been yes but i have not Thought she'd say little Dewey's, but mm. all is well. Then we'll steal second. Amanda Scarborough's here. She has some thoughts about Clearwater. She was there. Yeah. I, I would think so. Yeah. I have thoughts and I wasn't there. I could imagine somebody that was there, what their thoughts are. Perhaps you'll mention that later in the show. <laughs> Rounding third, we'll look at the big games this week and then pick the ACL player of the week. And then we'll head home. We got a mailbag. People have sent in questions. We had a lot of responses. Like, sorry, some of y'all, I do have to trim some of the questions. We can't answer everybody. But we will do our best. And then, of course, we have off the wall. Of course. Because apparently I don't know how to pronounce my own state. Mm. Tom, how dare you? Your university, your state, your right. job, your employer. <laughs> I've only lived here since 1991. Oh, boy. we might. This might be a name, a name mentioned, but we'll see. <laughs> Let's begin at the plate, and before we do, make sure that you follow us at OutOfTheBox underscore pod, like, share, subscribe, leave a review. We had a great review this week that, that I shared nice. with you. That's yeah. very pleasant. Indeed. Yeah, so thank you. Was that from that guy that we were just referring to? No, not from... <laughs> I'll save it for <laughs> later. We'll wait, yes. All right, the Bama Bash, the good, 5-0. and You win all the games. Can't get any better than that. That's right, and not everybody is doing that around the country. Elsewhere, the good... Kayla Beaver and Jayla Torrance were really, really strong this weekend. Jayla, like, not that she was particularly awful against Georgia Tech. She was a little shaky, but, I mean, just a complete 180 for her. She was almost untouchable this weekend. And then Kayla Beaver just kept showing what she showed us in Atlanta, and that's a really, really good sign. I think also it is helping that Kayla Beaver is, you know, and the first four years of her career, for the most part, she was it. Yeah. Uh, she's now on part of the staff where she doesn't have to literally go out there every single day. And I'm sure that is taking a little bit of that pressure off her here. Uh, and she has been just outstanding anytime that she's been in the circle for Alabama. Can't can't do any better than a zero ERA. Yeah, 12 strikeouts and 10 in the third innings, 167 OBA. Jayla's is 077. Yeah, I right. mean, just good stuff. Yeah. Really and, and it's not like the other pitchers weren't good. We'll talk a little bit about Brisky in a bit and Lauren, who, mm -hmm. man, I feel bad for because – uh, I think she's she's improved since last year. Patrick Murphy told us the velos up, and uh, we didn't get to see really any of it. But right. we'll dive into that a little later. Back on track. Good to see Larissa Pruitt starting to find some some holes through the infield, starting to be a little bit 
more confident at the plate. Seems like she's showing a little bit more conviction. And then Jenna Johnson in the time that we did see her was literally on base all the time. An OBP of 1000. Yeah. Again, can't do any better than that. And she was and uh, at the leadoff spot on base the entire weekend and allowing the run producers behind her to knock her in. Uh, great job by Jenna. I uh, mentioned Larissa as well, including she had a great weekend, including a game ending triple yes. against St. Thomas. So that was great to see. And yeah, I, 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 it felt as though she was more decisive at the plate with what she was going to do. That, that seemed to be the issue in week one for Larissa is that, you know, she has so many tools. She couldn't figure out which one to pull out of the toolbox. Uh, she had a, a much better plan at the plate all weekend long. Another positive, 25 free passes, 21 walks drawn in five games, four hit by pitches. Uh, the strikeouts still maybe a little elevated considering who you were playing. Most of them were against Virginia, but right. and Eden Bigham is a strikeout pitcher, but well below the free passes that you drew, which is what you want. Yeah, uh, and I think that actually kind of led to some of the issues that Alabama was having as far as you know hits and batting average was the pitchers that you were facing so many of them were having trouble finding the strike zone. It was really hard for any batters to get into any type of rhythm against any of the pitchers. Right. So um, I think some of that was just kind of a, a product of the teams you were playing. And finally, the last good that I have listed, Lauren S. from Riley Valentine. Both pick up their first home runs with Alabama, and it was good to see that pop Lauren's to like the deepest part of the park. Riley's off the scoreboard. Uh, that was really, really impressive. And it was good to see that from those two players, two players that uh, will be asked to be those RBI producers when they are, in fact, in the lineup. Yeah. And I think that was one of the issues there, that final game for Lauren Esman, that she wasn't in the lineup right. uh, after she had to leave in the in the circle after two batters. So Lauren is hitting the ball as well as anybody right now on this team. So that's no reason hoping the uh, whatever discomfort there is isn't a, a long-term thing, which we don't know. We'll talk about it. But great job by her. Riley Valentine had had a good overall weekend, had the home run, and she was one who was drawing a lot of those free passes as well. Yeah, 600 OBP in the Bama Bash. Is there any other good specifically you wanted to highlight? The the crowd Oh, was the other one. Good point. The weather, as we will continue to talk about, wasn't the best this past weekend, especially Saturday, or extremely cold weather. Uh, and to go from, you know, the week wasn't that cold and just, it just had, you know, the rain came in Friday night and then just dropped the temperature about 30, you know, 20 to 30 degrees. There was a basketball game going on at the exact same time. Don't know if you know this basketball is played inside and to have three to 4,000 people choose to come to softball with the weather wasn't great instead of go to basketball, that was, was really cool. And, and the crowd all weekend long considering the names of the opponents weren't as marquee, the weather wasn't the best. Um, it just really showed why, you know, the Rhodes house, one of the best places in the country to see softball. Amen. The meh, kind of everything else. Yeah. Like yeah. defense had some moments and then there were some, uh, what situations the offense was like fine, but weirdly two out hitting in particular disappeared this weekend after it was such a big storyline in Atlanta it was just kind of a May weekend all the ra- all around. And uh, something that I'll mention later that w- we said on, it just means more softball kind of felt that way all around the country. Like, I don't really know what was going on this weekend. It seemed like Clearwater just shook everybody's mojo a little bit. Yeah. For this Alabama team, just kind of an uncharacteristic 
Blair weekend. Yeah, I, I think yeah the elements had something to do with it. Maybe the caliber opponent, and although that's something that Coach Murphy obviously you know constantly you know drills in and harps on that it doesn't matter who you're playing, you need to come out and play to the standard. Yeah, you know, I think we saw especially maybe on Sunday there was a little bit of going through the motions. Yeah, there was a little, and there wasn't a whole lot of in-game adjustments being made just way too many fly outs way too many pop-ups things that you weren't used to seeing and what we hadn't seen all year long because it'd been one thing if if you know you go to atlanta and have the offense done nothing in atlanta and then it just kind of continues and well maybe there's there's an issue but this was kind of kind of out of the blue kind of surprising and we're talking about this in a, in a weekend where alabama did have a run rule victory right uh you know and i think you played two games against virginia with who has good pitchers i Uh, I would be very surprised if virginia is run ruled even three times this year by ranked teams like that's that's a team that i don't know how many ranked wins they're gonna get they're not gonna get blown out right they're gonna be scrappy and and hang with people right and then like i said it was hard to get into rhythm against some of the pitchers from uh southern indiana and st thomas just because they were they they weren't throwing with the velocity you're used to seeing if you're an alabama player and they weren't throwing with the control you're used to seeing either. So you really kind of get into a rhythm, but you wanted to see better adjustments as the game went along. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I mean, I would, I would say overall, probably like a C C minus weekend, which you can get away with against the teams that you were playing, but you know, you're going to have to bring it next time and, and later on down the road. And that, that is the thing about all this is like, Patrick Murphy has talked about this. We talked about on the TV broadcast. Right now, what they're working on is process-driven, not results-driven. If you trust the process, if you look for your pitch, if you you know have put a good swing on it, if you barrel it up, yada, yada, the result will come. Um, they're not concerned about the number of hits. They're concerned about how the at-bat looks and that the players can have a professional approach from at-bat to at-bat and trusting that that will eventually lead to explosiveness um and knowing that it can because of the talent of the players now it's and it's seen and i've seen that all year long it seemed like sunday was really the first time where there there wasn't those in-game adjustments and those you know the professional batter where we were seeing players not only up from one to nine but second and third times they've had at bats doing the same thing they did the time before and if I may offer an explanation, maybe it's because I wasn't there. It's possible. Because the last two years, I've missed Sunday Bama Bash games. Right. Last year was the loss to Kennesaw State. To do women's basketball. To do women's basketball. Right. Alabama women's basketball lost that day. This week, it was Southern Indiana on Sunday. Alabama women's basketball did win. Yes. As did softball. So that was good. Shout out Christy Curry and, and the, the team for taking the home portion of the iron bowl of women's basketball man auburn and late games what are we doing mm-hmm. uh it doesn't matter the sport hate to see it but yeah bad. just you know whatever i mean we also like have the stats that back up that the bama bash is just has never been a high scoring event for this team yeah even with bailey Hempills and charlotte morgans and like all the legends on these teams like right. for whatever reason the bama bash has always been kind of squirrely oh we've i've I want to say a team that ended up winning the SEC went 0 and 4 in the Bama Bash one year. It's, you know, it's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Alabama went 5 and 0. You got the win. 
a lot of stuff to work on, but I don't think it's that a big red flag that, you know, this offense won't be able to get things going. The bad. What is going on with the random injuries? Yes. What? Stuff that we don't see. Now, I will I will say the Jenna Johnson one, a lot of people pointed that out. I did not see it initially. I, didn't either. I was looking elsewhere, but apparently got up a little slow after coming home on a RBI single to left field. I guess a, a little contact on the slide or maybe just a funky slide. I don't know. Early conversations from Patrick Murphy when asked by the media. It sounds like it's nothing. It sounds like she could have played on Sunday yeah. if, if truly needed. She, and she went through the entire pregame. She bat. She right. hit in the cages. She did everything. She was ready to go. Had she, she been in the lineup on Sunday? Yeah. Now Lauren Esman and Jocelyn Brisky, just weird. I did not see Lauren's. I, I saw Brisky's. The Brisky one was so strange. She threw a pitch, called out Marley, who called out Lance, who called out Coach Murphy and AC Atinka, the athletic trainer, who then walked Brisky off. We're like, yeah. huh? What on an O two count? Yeah. And it was literally the same thing happened to Lauren. It was, you know, she got, uh, I believe it was a fly out to the second batter of the game. And then she called out Marley, who called out Patrick Murphy, who called out AC and Lance McMahon. And then she went to the, went to the clubhouse. Uh, and then she came back out wearing the same uh, wrap, stimulus wrap uh, that Brisky was wearing the day before, which I take as a good sign. It's like she wasn't in a, in a uh, sling or anything. Uh, she's, moving moving her arm everything normal so hopefully there's just a, a little bit of a, a muscle issue that will be rectified quickly yeah and coach murphy told the media afterwards brisky's going to be day-to-day I, I think the good thing about the upcoming schedule is you know you can probably get by uh without brisky having to exert herself all that much if she does have to pitch in the circle and then uh lauren Esman, kind of same deal but murph said i think she's going to be okay she just felt a little something going on uh, muscular wise um, yeah. with her upper body and you know in the cold uh, the game the playing the teams that you're playing the games you're playing no reason to you know push anything if there was any issue so hopefully it's something that can be rectified quickly and we'll get them both back out there quickly yeah so we'll be monitoring that this weekend and finally I, I think that there are a couple of people that you just need a little bit more from you need a little bit more from Bailey Dowling. You need a little bit more from Kenley Kahalen. Uh, I would like to see Callie's Hevelin's batting average just a little, a little tweaked up. I mean, we talked about it. When she gets hits, they're driving in runs. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Um, but the hits came a little bit too infrequently this weekend. Overall, some of like the the true steady people who've been here for a long time, they did not have their best in the Bama Bash. And I don't foresee any long-term issues i don't have concerns about bailey dowling right for any reason but she i just one for 10 but the one was a homer exactly and <laughs> and i i just want to see a little bit more overall from yeah. those folks agreed and maybe we will this week in a midweek against north alabama at 3 p.m yes you excited business person special <laughs> the patrick murphy tweet we always yes. see whenever there's that random afternoon <laughs> game and then the green and gold classic friday uab Western Carolina, uh, check RollTide.com, by the way, for times. Those might have adjusted. Uh, Saturday, Bradley, Caitlin Gambone. Mm-hmm. Hey, girl. And uh, UNA, Sunday, UAB. So so just getting all the UNA this week. That's right. I Just like last week, I have no idea how to answer the lineups or pitching rotation question. No. And now with additional injury question marks, it even throws more things into flux. And that is the one issue right now is that it's hard to – you know, you'd like to at some point before you get into conference play, 
get a starting lineup that you're going to go with for the most part. Now you're going to be able to play again, a very deep team that Alabama has this year. You're going to be able to play matchups and do other things. So you, I don't know if you'll see a true one through nine starting lineup that will have every, you know, game in and game out, you know, in not taking injuries into account, but um, you want to be able to come close to doing that and have, have a general starting starting nine with a, fl- a few platoons in there based on matchups. The good thing is, injury-wise, it does sound like we're going to see Kristen White this weekend. Correct. That's going to be a big a big spot. Although I will say before, you know, she ended up missing the last game that Jenna Johnson looked, looked a lot more comfortable as the leadoff, the fact that she was getting on base so much. But I think I like her in the two spot, though, right. behind the Kristen. Goal, right. The goal is for Kristen White to be the leadoff hitter, right. I would think. Hopefully she will be able to play, and I think if, if she's able to go, uh, she should probably play all five games or all six games here this week. I would agree with that. That's us at the plate. Uh, who are we, Tom? Hmm. It was one of those weekends. I'm not 100% sure. Larissa Pruitt had a triple. All she right. did some stuff. You you like that pick. Yeah. The fan club the is fan like, club. hoorah. Yeah. yeah, 429 average, 556 OBP, stole a base. Had another big catch up against the wall it didn't steal the home run away this time it didn't lead to a triple play it did lead to a double play yeah but that's why she needs to be in the lineup right. because she keeps doing that yes so great to see that the batting average and the the hit started coming a little bit more here uh this weekend and hopefully that'll continue as we move forward maybe this will spark it yes we are larissa pruitt let's go when we come back you will hear the audio from it just means more softball as we discuss what was a weird week in the sec everything was odd yeah just you know just just kind of flush the week do you hear that someone hit another home run oh it's out of here way back way gone (laughs) knocked you off the scaffolding and you weren't even there can you imagine if you were stanford's radio guy when they played georgia tech just you would have been like what is a translation of way back way gone that i can use (laughs) i can only say the same thing so many times the same person too what is this that's next here on the out of the box podcast a late addition to the rundown as we record they're heading to the bottom of the fourth inning in gainesville florida oklahoma state has a three nothing lead on a three-run homer against the Florida Gators. Tom, I, uh, I've i never had to add a ranked matchup out of the blue to a rundown before. Yeah, especially when that that uh, game was not even scheduled yesterday. It was just what is random. It was great to see those two teams being able to put that together. Uh, such a crazy weekend weather-wise in, in all of the state of Florida. Uh, Florida lost games in their tournament at home, and then we all know what happened in Clearwater, too, so Oklahoma State. Uh, lost a few games and well we'll just play each other in Gainesville perfect works out we're all here yeah might as well yeah so we'll talk about Clearwater first and if you're tuning in live on the stream or on Twitter slash X or on YouTube we'll we'll stay up to date on what's going on with the Cowgirls and the Gators but we will begin in Clearwater with the comeback kids the Georgia Bulldogs they go 4-0 and they faced adversity they had to come back and beat Oklahoma State they were able to defeat UCLA 7-2. to two. They had to come back and beat Wisconsin. And then just a 
barrage of offense and a 20 to 10 victory over Florida state. I saw a funny tweet that put that box score with the orange bowl box score together and said, Florida state should file a cease and desist against the university of Georgia. (laughs) But I mean, what a weekend for the bulldogs. Yeah. The joke I've been making Florida state wishes they'd scored that many runs or scored that many points in the orange bowl and football. But yeah, what a, what a crazy weekend overall. And for Georgia in particular, uh, there was a point there after the first couple of games, I remember I texted you and I was like, Georgia's been a little bit underwhelming. And then I, I guess they took that personally. And, and they certainly were not uh, underwhelming the next couple of games. But, um, you know, getting ranked wins is impressive, regardless on how you do it. Um, it doesn't matter who's leading at the end of the fourth inning. It's who's leading at the end of the seventh inning. And uh, Georgia kind of figured out, well, we can score early, too, in those the last couple of games. But it, it was a really impressive weekend all the way around for Tony Baldwin's club. Yeah, and for Georgia, they kind of escaped Clearwater with, like, okay stats. I mean, the batting average isn't super inflated. Team BA of 311, that's fairly normal for February. Team ERA of 169, that's like a huge win, especially considering they gave up some runs down yeah. in Florida. But to have that number still be respectful, respectable when we saw a lot of teams with solid to good pitching staffs just getting exposed all weekend long that that's that's a good sign I think for the dogs yeah and for everybody overall it's going to be interesting to see I think we really need to keep our eyes on big tournaments like the Mary Nutter coming up this weekend and some of these other big ones that um, see if the same type of offensive explosions happen in those tournaments that happen in Clearwater because if they don't Clearwater is really going to have a negative effect statistically uh, on a lot of people's pitching and a positive effect statistically on a lot of people's hitting that might not truly reflect what those teams are. And for Georgia, you've got a pretty deep pitching staff already, but it feels like the top three have uh, certainly been able to get equal work. Backus, 26 and two-thirds innings. Shelby Walters, 16 and and a third. Madison Kerpix, 14 and two-thirds. So I think Tony Baldwin likes that staff. What's not to like? You got three talented arms, and I feel pretty confident about Georgia. I was at the beginning of the year, but after what they did in Clearwater, finding ways to win the way that they did so, I I think it was overall a fairly good showing. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, when you have a deep pitching staff like Georgia has – Uh, That's going to be so huge to go along with that offense. We know what they have from one to nine in the batting order. Uh, But if you don't have just one um, far and away ace to be able to have a really solid pitching staff that you can throw out there once we get into conference play here in a few weeks where it could be anybody on Friday, anybody on Saturday, anybody on Sunday, and you don't have that big of a drop off, uh, that's going to be really huge uh, for Georgia's championship uh, wants and desires. Another team that went undefeated in Clearwater, the LSU Tigers. How? I really don't know, but they just, they found a way. They defeated Georgia Tech 12 to 8. Again, they were just dominating, and then Yellow Jackets got into it late. They went 13 to 12 over Northwestern on a walk off sack fly from Raylene Gutierrez, following a sixth inning game tying grand slam by Allie Newland. And then they walk off Oklahoma State with a little bit of rain controversy. Hannah Carson, a two RBI single. I, I think that it, overall, as we just talked about with Georgia for LSU, like, was it super impressive? I don't know. I'm not sure that they'll ever pitch as poorly again this year as they did this past weekend. But when tournaments are weird, and especially in February, you just have to find ways to win. And LSU was able to do that. 
Yeah, I think as far as the question marks with pitching, I think you just kind of chalk that up to Clearwater was weird. You you got a lot of you know, you had a lot of really big numbers put up, um, and the opponents just took advantage of that. But yeah, credit to LSU for just embrace embracing the weirdness and finding ways to outscore people. Um, that Northwestern game was one that I got to, that I sat and watched pretty much all of. And I mean, Northwestern was absolutely in control and dominating that game. And then all of a sudden it flipped on a switch and LSU got the comeback victory there. And really the most, I think the most impressive win was the win over Oklahoma state to find a way there was a lot of adversity. That was, you know, the early morning, uh, first pitch day on Saturdays, they moved some of the more marquee games that morning to try to get them in before the rains got there. Rains came in the seventh inning and umpires considered pulling everybody off the field did for like three minutes. Then they, I guess they put some trying agent down on the field and they were able to finish that one off and it allowed LSU to get that victory. So that's, I think that's going to be one that maybe when we're looking at resumes and things like that toward the end of the year, that win for LSU against Oklahoma state is going to be a big positive for them. Yeah. LSU, I, I thought just did a lot right. Uh, this weekend. And like I said about the pitching, Berzon's ERA is north of four. It'll never be that high again, probably in her career. And a team ERA north of three, that will only go down the rest of the year. I mean, there's no shot that LSU's pitching staff will have numbers like that even a month from now. Yeah. If it is, then something has gone terribly wrong. Yeah. So we've got two more teams from Clearwater that we need to cover. Tennessee goes 0-2 in a shortened Clearwater trip. They had some chances that got canceled by the weather, and their two games were fairly standard softball scores, a 1-0 yeah. loss to Stanford, a 2-1 loss to Texas. I mean, that feels like such a bummer if I'm Karen Weekly and Milady Balls because like you lost two close games by one run to two very good teams. You had chances against some of the unranked teams that you're going to get later on the the marquee game on Sunday night against the Florida State team that was struggling was canceled so this also feels non-reflective of what Tennessee is even though they leave winless yeah you got to feel like Tennessee really uh was the biggest um loser because of the weather situation and everybody all the SEC teams in Clearwater you know, you play two really tough games. You lose by a combined three runs to two of the top teams in the country. Like you said, in, in really two of the more traditional softball games that we saw all weekend, you lose your chance to play a couple of the unranked teams and you lose the chance in a marquee matchup against a Florida State team that was struggling. You got to think, you know, the odds are they would have probably won that game had they been able to play that on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, uh, not not really reflective of what Tennessee is to go zero and two there uh, without getting those other victories. Um, I wouldn't be too worried if you're a Lady Vols fan, uh, but you know you it, it's just your own two. That's just uh, unfortunately all you can say about it. It happens to the best right. of us. Maybe the one slightly concerning thing is Kiki Malloy right now at two fifty average on the season and eight strikeouts. That last check was tied for the lead in the conference. That's a yeah. little weird, but again. I don't have any concerns about Kiki Malloy. Who come on? Who would no. have concerns about Kiki Malloy? Right. I'm I wouldn't be we worried about Kiki Malloy, although, you know, the, the number of strikeouts does stick out and you're wondering if maybe um she's pressing a little bit to start off with. She's, you know, had so much success, expected to have so much success here this uh, this year. And I think she will have success, but maybe just trying to do a little too much right now. 
A reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, and I believe X, we're getting some comments from X Twitter as well. No, I don't uh, know how that works. That's that's your thing. Yeah, so hit up hit up the comments, say hello. We'll we'll flash a couple if you've got questions. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the Softball America YouTube page. Aspen Wesley, the Mississippi State pitcher, will be joining us in just a little bit. One last SEC team from Clearwater to talk about, Tom the Kentucky Wildcats fully back in Enigma form opening weekend. We were like, wow, they were our lead story. The pitching yeah. staff, the offense did just enough against some of the best pitchers in the country. And then you go to Clearwater, a 12, 10 win over North Carolina, a six, five win over Wisconsin, getting just smashed by Washington eight to one, a team batting average sits at 277. team ERA sits at two ninety five. Is Kentucky back in Enigma status, or is this a Clearwater thing, or do we just have to wait and see? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I think they are still a little bit of an Enigma, especially in the games that Stephanie Schoonover doesn't play in or doesn't pitch in. Um, but, yeah, a lot of this – it's hard to know about any of the Clearwater teams until we see them play a couple of other weeks outside of Clearwater uh, because it was such a, a crazy tournament. So um, I wouldn't be too concerned about Kentucky – um, because I think what happened the first week may be a little bit more representative of what they are. But um, when when you go up against one of the top teams there in Washington and get it handed to you pretty good, um, that that kind of shows. Yes, they they are much improved in what we thought they were, but we're I don't think we can say they're like top fifteen in the country good yet. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And this is an SEC pod, but uh, Washington, very impressive Indeed. in Clearwater as Indeed. well. Uh, Aaliyah Jordan will have that on the final swing, the Pac-12 pod coming up a little bit later. Elsewhere, outside of Clearwater, probably the most impressive team this past weekend was Texas A&M. They go out west to California. They get two wins over Oregon, two wins in true road games at San Diego State, and one win against Jenna Perez for Loyola Marymount, who has picked up big victories throughout her career. Uh, Texas A&M in the Softball America poll nearing the top 10, and I think it's earned. This was a, a fairly strong week two for Trisha Ford's team. Yeah, I think for as much as we've talked about teams like Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Missouri, which we are definitely going to talk about here on this pod, you got to give so much credit to Texas A&M and what they've been able to do the first two weeks, hosted their own tournament as and handled that as usual in week one. But to go on the road in San Diego, uh, getting those two wins over Oregon, and then beating a, a LMU team that also had a win over Oregon. Um, I, I definitely think they probably had one of, if not the most impressive weeks of anybody in the conference. Yeah, Emily Kennedy, your SEC co-pitcher of the week. The other co will be joining us in just a bit, mm -hmm. which is a tease. Uh, but Kennedy, who has long been thought of as like the highest potential ace on that staff, Right now, sitting at a 4-0 record, a 1-0-9 ERA, and it seems like she's finally starting to put it together. There have been some control issues, some games where she just doesn't have it, but it seems like the consistency is really starting to round into form. I think it really is. That, that's that's the one thing that was lacking for them. So if they can have a really consistent arm in the circle, um, they, they can really make some noise in this conference and threaten to move out of that middle of the pack into the top echelon. So what do we make of Arkansas? So they go to Tucson, Arizona. They split with Arizona. Uh, once get walked off, another time win a one-run ball game. Uh, low scoring 
which is not what I expected between these two. They get a win over Long Beach. They beat Omaha twice. Uh, Team batting average of 302. Robin Heron is quite clearly the ace of the staff. You know, she's lost a couple games, but she's leading uh, by eight in innings pitched, and she's got a 1-3-0 ERA. Uh, Arkansas feels like a team that is using February to find out who they are, and I think that when they get to a conclusion, it could be scary, but right now it seems like they're still trying to feel things out. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I mean, that's Arkansas was one of the question or the teams that we had the most questions about coming into the season just because of who they had lost. But we knew that they were bringing in so many good players. It's just, you know, they got to find the right way to put the, the puzzle together with those pieces. And Courtney Dyfel is doing that early on to go to Arizona, split that series, split the games with the Wildcats. We saw how, how Arizona won the first game in, in walk-off fashion. You got to think, well, that was just, you know, that, that was a 50-50 game that went the home team's way. Um, but that's, I, I think if you're Arkansas, you're pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I think that Arizona first off showed me a little something as well, but Arkansas, like Reagan Johnson's hitting the ball. Well, Brie Ellis is being a great RBI producer. Nia Carter hitting 361. No surprise. She's very, very, very impressive. Uh, I, I think that Arkansas is in a good spot. So uh, yeah. we'll continue to monitor the Razorbacks as the season goes on. But I, I think that that feels like a, a top five team in this conference. They've just, you know, got to, like you said, put the pieces in the right place in the right. puzzle. And you got to think at this point with what we've seen the last, you know, three or four years, Arkansas is going to be there at the top part of the, of the conference at the end, regardless uh, that they'll figure it out. It's, you know, that's Courtney Dyfel has established this program as a, you know, top of the conference type team. Uh, so I'm not particularly worried about the Razorbacks. What kind of, We're seeing a lot of teams right now, not only in this conference, but in the entire country, outside of what happened in Clearwater, the offenses always are behind the pitching staffs to start things off for the most part. Um, When the weather warms up, the bats warm up. So a lot of these places, if you're dealing with uh, adverse conditions as far as weather, things like that, you know, it's harder to hit. And uh, that's just that's just the way it is. So. Uh, if your offenses, if you're a team that you're seeing your offense not putting quite the numbers up that you would expect, regardless of the competition, uh, I think that's something else you have to take into account. Boy, that is just a perfect segue, Tom. This is this is great work by you because <laughs> the natural next team to talk about when discussing adverse weather conditions is the Auburn Tigers. Of course. I mean, week one, just a, a cavalcade of. I don't even want to say controversial weather, but it was interesting hearing the Auburn side at the women's basketball game uh, yesterday when the Tigers were in town. And oh, uh, what was what was Auburn side? Well, we'll we'll cover that later. That's an oh. off mic conversation. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry to everyone watching and listening. <laughs> um, so they go to Mexico, and the weather washes out a game against Clemson which is a, a huge bummer. They right. do beat Utah one nothing. They get a win over Wichita State, but. Like they played okay, but we missed the chance to really kind of get a great feel for Auburn against a high quality team like the Clemson Tigers. Right. And that's the frustrating thing for everybody involved when weather uh, wreaks havoc on a tournament like that, like what happened in Clearwater, what happened in Mexico, that, you know, not only are we as softball fans deprived of seeing some really cool matchups, the teams themselves are deprived of playing those games and the coaches 
able to make uh, coaching decisions and evaluations of their teams in those type of games. It's one of the reasons why you play them at, at this at this point. Uh, so it, it was very frustrating, I'm sure, for Auburn not to be able to play that Clemson game and, and to have some games washed out. And the biggest issue for the Tigers is kind of what we came into the year wondering about, and that is pitching behind Matty Pinta. I've got the stat here on the rundown. Matty Pinta this year, 25 innings pitched. Everybody else on staff combined, 18 innings yeah. pitched. That 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 can't happen. They, they got to figure out ways for Matty Pinta not to have to pitch so much. Yeah, and Pinta's been good, you know, yeah. two and one, one one two ERA. But I mean, Shelby Lowe, five two five ERA. We know what she can be, but it still feels like she's fighting to come back after that great freshman year, even though that injury her sophomore season happened so long ago. Annabelle Weidra, a three three two ERA. Emma Rolf, a thirteen twelve ERA, and just two and two thirds innings pitched. So, I mean, Maddie Penta cannot pitch every inning against every sec team probably right and that's and that's not us saying that that you know it's mickey the human dean body well and mickey dean said that when yeah. we when we talked with him uh, on our other podcast the out of the box podcast during softball media days you know he said you know she got worn out at the end of the year last year because she was having to pitch all these midweek games and everything to make sure that you know auburn didn't take bad losses so you know they have to be able to pitch other pl- other pitchers on this staff and rely on them uh, to get the wins that they should get. And the biggest issue, perhaps, with that is that the offense is merely fine right now—a right. two seventy-five team batting average. So even when the other pitchers are in, they're not getting the help that they need from the bats. Yeah, and that was the thing last year. You know they had that big pickup in in offense. They they had the the more power that they were expecting. They they were putting up the runs to help out those other pitchers or Maddie Pinson when she was in. Um, they're just not getting that right now. And again, it's week two. I just said you know we can't you can't you know make a final judgment on what offenses are after week two. Uh, but obviously that that will need to be some adjustments and improvements there. Yeah, we're not making judgments. We're putting together the context clues. Yes. <laughs> yes. Another SEC team down in Mexico, South Carolina. They run ruled Utah. Let's go. Uh, and then they escaped UC Davis, which, you know, they beat Mississippi State. So it was a, a pretty good weekend for UC Davis. Uh, South Carolina lost to Wichita. So, I mean, I, I feel like kind of like what we were talking about last week with South Carolina. They continue to do pretty inoffensive things yeah. in wins and losses. And, I haven't quite gotten a good feel for them. I think it's interesting that the freshman Sage Marjetko leads the team in innings. We really haven't seen Botter all too much to start the year, and maybe there's a little strategy behind that. Yeah, kind of going along with what we just talked about with Maddie Penta. You don't want to, you know, overtax Botter here early on because you got to think about it. You know, last year at South Carolina, it was a one-two punch. I mean, last year at Stanford with Botter and Kennedy, it was a one-two punch. So Votter wasn't having to pitch every day. So you don't want her to have to go to South Carolina and do more at South Carolina than she was doing at Sanford last year, uh, especially this early in the season. Uh, now, once we get into conference play, I expect Votter will be pitching two out of three games uh, pretty much all year long for the Gamecocks. Uh, but right now, if you can continue to kind of get through uh, this non-conference schedule with Votter not pitching as much, I think that you're fine with that if you're Bev Smith. That being said, you know, lost to Wichita State, not what you want to have on your uh, on your resume. I don't think Wichita State is going to be as good this year as they have been in the past uh, from, you know, they might. We'll see. 
but this this isn't an AAC podcast. It's an SEC podcast. Uh, it's also not a Pac-12 podcast, but, man, Utah has got to be really happy to not be playing any more SEC teams for a little while because the SEC is really uh, taking it out on the Utes here recently. Yeah, that's uh, Missouri, Mississippi State, Auburn, South Carolina. Yeah. So last week we talked to Larissa Anderson, and she was saying, you know, opening weekend was great. It's opening weekend. We've got to keep it going. Missouri does. They, like Alabama, win all their games. They had a couple more impressive results than I would say Alabama did. But the one, like, real weird one yeah. was the combined no-no with Texas A&M Commerce, a program that is fairly new to the college softball scene at the D1 level. Missouri won that game one nothing. Uh, no hits for either side. Yeah, not, not a combined, a double no-hitter. Yes. A, not, a, one, not one team combining pitchers. No, both teams. <laughs> the, I mean, the, what do we make of that? The final stat line was for Commerce, no runs, no hits, one error. Missouri, one run, no hits, no errors. So Missouri scored on the one error, and that was it. Um, it was just a weird game. Uh, yeah. I, I think I don't know if you take too much uh, out of it uh, moving forward other than, you know, Missouri's got to figure out just figure out ways to put a little bit more together offensively um, from inning to inning and game to game, uh, which a lot of teams are in that spot right now. But, you know, you have somebody like uh, Krings is, that is going to keep you in pretty much any game that she's pitching in. Um, so I, I think Missouri can still take a lot out of the trip to Denton, Texas. Just you had a couple weird games in there. Yeah, and Sierra Harrison, I mean, how about her work? A zero ERA, she was involved in that no-hitter, uh, right. and 21 and a third innings pitched on the yes. season. So right behind yeah. Krings, like, we could have uh, we could have a fairly impressive little one-two once again for the Missouri Tigers. Yeah, then I think that may, that's something else I said, Krings, but, you know, if, if Missouri has a one-two in the circle, um, that just elevates – what they're capable of doing in a series. Again, once we get into conference play or, or some of these tournaments where you're playing four or five games and, and you need to have depth pitching wise, uh, that's huge for the Tigers. And um, you have a batting average that is improving, uh, but had, had a tougher uh, weekend in Denton. And I don't know what the weather was there. It might not have been great. I don't know if it was good weather anywhere in the, in the country this, this past weekend. Did anyone have anything good? <laughs> I mean, the whole weekend, I, I'm going to be honest. I was texting Amanda Scarborough about this. The whole weekend vibe across softball just felt weird. It was like the Clearwater games affected everybody. And right. it was, it was just one of those strange weekends where like nothing felt right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, you have this premier event, that's happening on ESPN. We're getting all this coverage for February softball, which is awesome. But then the games are weird. The weather is weird. You have the, this ominous, you knew once it started raining, it wasn't going to stop raining. Right. So you were just trying to get as much in. So a lot of stress there. I would tell you when, when you're in a tournament and weather has is playing a factor, there is nothing more stressful. That is the most stressful thing. And it did it. It's like it affected everybody. Uh, all over the country and, and weather was just weird. You know, Florida lost all those games, got washed out in Gainesville. Uh, it, it was just, uh, it was for the second week. We were so ready and we were so excited. It was such a great first week that it was hard to follow that up. But then when your premier tournament has, has so many issues, 
uh, yeah, it kind of affected everybody. We do have a few things in the chat. If you want to join the conversation, hit up the comments. Uh, Non-SEC related, JP, great job, guys. Thanks for UC Davis shout out. Got to run, go Ags. So shout out to UC Davis here on our SEC podcast. (laughs) Well, they uh, they were very uh, impactful in a, a couple of games against SEC teams here this week that we'll talk about. That's true. Uh, Aubrey says, go Vols. Uh, we've got Jeremy who pops in and says, roll tide. And of course, one of our, our loyal friends, Fang Nye, saying good evening, Tom and Gray. Uh, let's see. We've got James Campbell. Can't wait for Oklahoma and Texas to join the league. Big games every weekend. I'm going to keep it real with you, James. Uh, there are big games every weekend before they come because yes. according to the Softball America Top 25, 12 of the 13 teams in the league are ranked. And I think it's deserved. It's not a biased thing. The teams that were out earned their way in. And so that means as you know, we get ready to talk about Ole Miss, Florida, and then Mississippi State when Aspen Wesley hops on, uh, you've got everyone who can beat everyone. And we might have a conference champion this year who finishes with eight league losses. Who's to say? Yeah, I think that's that's what we are really seeing here in these first two weeks uh, because we're seeing the SEC, SEC teams, some of the ones that were picked toward the, pot, the bottom of this conference are beating teams that were picked to either win or beat the top of these other power five conferences. Uh, and, I, and those are some of the results that I've been really uh, surprised by and pleasantly surprised by as someone who follows this conference day in and day out. So yeah, it, it's, you know, anybody in this league can beat anybody else on any given day. Um, and you mentioned, you know, 13 out of the 14 are in the top 25. Is that is 12 of the 13. Don't give Vanderbilt oh, a softball team me. yet, Tom. My, Come on. my bad. Sorry. Math has been difficult for me re- recently. Uh, 12 out of 13 to make it. And the team that isn't in there uh, has only one loss on the year. So, I mean, there are it's it's been a really impressive start out of the gates for this entire conference. And that team that's out is who we're going to talk about next, the Ole Miss Rebels. So they get through Kennesaw unscathed, have a couple dicey games, but you win. Yep. So that's all you want to do. Team batting average is great at 360. Jaden Pone is hitting 500. How about Jayla Lassiter hitting 405 this year with 11 RBIs? That's very impressive for, for one of the premier and speedy outfielders in the conference. Lexi Brady, RBI producer, batting average dip below 300, but she's going to keep driving in runs. I, I thought the Ole Miss offense, uh, when I was able to, to get some eyes on them these first two weekends, uh, specifically this weekend because you can't watch the games in Hawaii. Um, I, I thought I liked what I saw. Yeah, I, I think if you're Jamie Traxel and, and you're Ole Miss right now, you, you're pretty happy where you stand. Your one loss was on opening night in Hawaii against a BYU team that I think is going to be a pretty good team in the Big 12. Um, you know, that I think you're you're in a pretty good spot. Nothing, nothing uh, disastrous has happened to you. And you've been able to put up some pretty good offensive numbers despite, you know, not having Courtney Day. So I, I think you're okay if you're Ole Miss here and, and all you can do is is uh, win the games that you're playing, and they've done that so far. And McKenna Thermos has truly emerged as the ace, a .82 ERA. She leads the team in innings pitch. Grace Sparks just behind. So overall, and that's, I, and that's what we don't we didn't know for Ole Miss is who was going to be that ace, who was going to establish herself, and it may be Clee Thermos. All right, let's talk about the Florida Gators. Let's go right back to our staff broadcast page. They're in Who's the top, winning? 
I got you, partner. Yeah. Top of the seventh. It is still 3 nothing. Oklahoma State over Florida. They're about to wrap this game up in like an hour 45 if the Gators wow. – are able to aren't able to come back and you know Oklahoma State has had some issues finishing games but look I think that there is a takeaway from this you know even though it was hastily scheduled Florida probably didn't get to do like the full scout and full prep of an opponent this would be a third power five team that Florida has played where they have struggled to score they got shut out in extras by Michigan they got one run against Oregon State and or I, I think it was actually 2-1 against Michigan, so my apologies. And um, Oklahoma State on the verge of a shutout in Gainesville. They're explosive against the mid-majors, but right now it seems like the offense is having a little trouble calibrating against the upper echelon pitching that they're seeing. Yeah, which is a little bit odd because we thought that maybe the bigger question mark would be the pitching for Florida this year, despite, you know, we had – two really highly ranked freshmen coming in. They were going to be relying on freshmen in the circle, uh, but they the freshmen have been really good. Florida has pitched extremely well. Uh, the the experiments in the lab have come out on a positive end, uh, but yeah, the offense just hasn't been able to do a whole lot. And, um, you know, it is, it's, it's one thing to put up huge numbers against uh, the, the mid-major teams, against the uh, noted rival Illinois State and things like that. But yeah, when you're playing some of the the topper, the top level teams, the major teams, um, you know, you're you're not asking to score eight, nine, ten runs against them, but you got to put up, you know, three or four. Um, and Florida just hasn't been able to do that yet. And yeah, you know, Florida didn't have the chance to do the full scout on Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State didn't have the full the time to do a full scout on Florida either. Uh, and they found a way to get a couple runs across. Yeah, and well, that was all on one swing, which is right. interesting because the comparison that I'm thinking of is the first year that we worked together at Alabama 2017 where it, it, it even happened in Gainesville where oftentimes one swing decided the game and you hoped yeah. that you were the one that got the swing. Uh, when we were starting out together, oftentimes it was not Alabama that got the swing, unfortunately. And shout out to Sydney Littlejohn for a great ERA, but a tough record that yeah. wasn't her fault. Um, but that's not a position that you want to be in and not one that you expect to be in with someone like Skylar Wallace, who entering tonight was hitting 538, Falby 543. We were sitting in here before recording time and they were having a really difficult uh time trying to attack Lexi Kilfoyle. Yeah, and ironically, you know, you Skylar shouldn't need a full scout on Lexi Kilfoyle because, you know, they were on a team together. So that they should, they, you know, everyone should know each other there. So, um, you know, uh, again, it's early. This was a, a crazy situation. Um, I don't take a whole lot out of it other than this is a awesome job by Florida and Oklahoma State to put this game together. Uh, but yeah, I think it'd be a disappointment for Florida to be able to add, you know, a big Monday night softball game against a, a top opponent and not be able to put up, any, put up any runs. So we will continue to monitor that as the evening ticks along. And Tom, we got one more team to talk about. And our guest Aspen Wesley will be joining us in just a bit. But let's discuss what Mississippi State accomplished. This is our lead story in that it's the interview and it's the lead in to that of uh, the Bulldogs. Sweep a midweek doubleheader with Louisiana uh, while we were recording last week. They beat Clemson, a team that I think is going to go to the World Series this year. They run rule Utah. They do get walked off by UC Davis, but 
it was getaway day. There was a drop dead time. It was super early in the morning. You can you can write that off to a couple things. Uh, I, I'm very, very impressed with what we saw from Mississippi State in the last seven days. Yeah, it was really impressive to see what the Bulldogs were able to do this week. First of all, before they left for Mexico to get that doubleheader sweep over Louisiana, uh, beating teams like Clemson and Utah in Mexico. And, you know, the UC Davis game, you, you mentioned a lot of those um, external factors in that ball game. In addition to, you know, the game, the play that they got walked off on, the fielder literally lost the ball in the sun. So it was just, you know, a, a lot of a lot of crazy things happen. Uh, but I don't think if you're Mississippi State, you let um, that final game put too much of a damper on what was a very successful week. And it, a team in Mississippi State that, you know, I think in a lot of a lot of people's minds, uh, I know ours that we've talked about, has gone from a team, well, it's going to be between Mississippi State and Ole Miss kind of fighting it out for the bottom of the SEC to now, you know, they're not just a team that might be able to pick one off from you. They can win some series and really move up in this conference if they continue to play at this level that they are right now. Yeah, I mean, we talked about some of the big conference play series that are in Starkville this year, and we were like, this could be a chance for Mississippi State to pick off some some teams. And now it's like, well, I mean, shoot, this is a, like – very difficult road series now for teams like right. Tennessee. And uh, and I think one of the things that I really like about what Mississippi State's doing is they're getting these games off of the aces from the teams that they're seeing. Louisiana, both games, started Sam Landry both times. It yeah. did not work. Valerie Cagle, the reigning player of the year, started against the Bulldogs. It did not work. Mississippi State got to her. And shout out to uh, Jesse Blaine and Madison Kennedy and the gang who were able to, to hit her up down in Mexico. I mean, it's been impressive to see the arms that Mississippi State is doing what they're doing against to get what is currently the top team batting average in the SEC at 377. That's that's amazing. If you had told me after two weeks, Mississippi State would have the highest team batting average and Kiki Malloy would have the most strikeouts, <laughs> I would have said you are crazy. But that's, that is the case right now. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. Mississippi State not doing it against the number twos and number threes a lot of these teams they're getting the aces and they're they're putting up runs against them and that's that's another thing it, it's really hard uh when making evaluations based on these non-conference early season tournaments you know dealing with elements you don't know who's pitching against who um you know you don't know if you're gonna have a crazy weekend like what happened in clearwater so it's hard to make true uh, you know uh, analysis and um of what these teams are, but Mississippi State's done it as legit as you can do it at this point of the season. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Ray 
Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom Clearwater is over. It was over a couple days ago. Yes. As we record. I'm sure and... the pitchers wishes wishes that it never happened. <laughs> That's exactly right. But yeah. And it seems like the perfect time to steal second here on the show with a pitcher herself. The ESPN analyst, our friend from the Seven Innings podcast, the All-American from Texas A&M, someone who was on the ground in Clearwater and who was in the booth watching thousands of runs being scored. Amanda Scarborough, good to see you, my friend. Hi, friends. Uh, Yeah, I think that many pitching coaches and pitchers might be a little happy that maybe Clearwater ended uh, early. It was uh, definitely an ERA killer tournament this weekend for sure. So I'll just go ahead and ask you, um what why were the offenses so dynamic i mean what what happened i've never seen a weekend collectively anywhere ever where there were so many high scoring games yeah i think it could come down to a few things i think that um i think that the strike zones were smaller in general like i think that if you talk to a few coaches from the weekend. I think that they would have in general said that the strike zones were smaller. And if the strike zones are smaller, there's going to be more walks. I saw a ton of hit by pitch, like free passes and walks are sorry, hit by pitches and walks like on my field alone was plentiful. Um, so a lack of command, smaller strike zone, Pitchers having to bring the ball more on the plate with a lack of command. It's just going to lead to more offense altogether. Um, I think too, that pitchers are trying to have more different pitches and like they have good movement, but they can't command it. That was something else that I talked to. I'll keep this coach anonymous uh, about, but like pitchers having more stuff, but less command. And so when you have, when you're throwing it more off the plate, the hitters are easily taking it. And then you have to come more on the plate to throw a strike and that's going to be a crushable ball. So I think a combination of all those things. And of course, I mean, the bearing the lead here, just offenses are really good in our sport and they've been getting good over the years. But as far as this weekend, smaller strike zones, pitchers not commanding their stuff is kind of what I would tailor it all down to. And we've heard and seen the the committee at the end of the season when they're putting together the NCAA tournament, they reference a lot of these early season, you know, top five, top 10 type matchups like we got in Clearwater if we don't see the offensive explosions in places like the Nutter and some of these other big tournaments that we're going to see, do you think that the committee might look at Clearwater as just an anomaly and maybe not factor those games in as much as they normally would have because they were so different from everything else we're seeing in softball right now? I mean, the like fan part of me and to have an opinion would want to say, yeah, I mean, that actually sounds right. Like that sounds like that should be something that they take into consideration, but then to be like, in the room with the committee. And if we ask them that question, the answer would be no, that all games are the same, that it's a quality win, no matter not taking any of those, that criteria that, you know, like they like to say um, into consideration that a win's going to be a win, a loss is going to be a loss. Um, and just looking at everybody's resumes collectively and not thinking, oh, that's, that's clear water game. So there's an asterisk next to it. So if you had a good weekend, um, you know, like Georgia got in four games. They looked good. Tennessee only got in two games, I think, and went 0-2. And, so, uh, and they only gave up three runs. So yeah. it was just a wild weekend. When you think about that, I even texted Gray that, you know, LSU had three wins and they gave up 26 runs. So Tennessee, I'll repeat that one more time. Tennessee gave up three runs and lost two games. LSU gave up 26 runs and won three games. 
So just very interesting when you look at last weekend. Of course, you know, the nut are coming up this weekend. If there are a bunch of double digit games there, we say, well, that's just, I this guess, is a thing now. I guess it's just softball this year. I know. I think everybody will be paying attention to see what happens this weekend for sure. Um, it, I mean, just the amount of runs though, over, like, or I should say close to a hundred more runs scored through the first two days of the tournament than last year. And even going back to 2019, there were like 117 runs scored in the first two days. And this year there were 271 or whatever that number was, but, um, it's about what I just said. Um, so that like, that's a crazy amount higher. It's insane. So in an event that was as crazy as Clearwater, where there seemed to be no rhyme or reason, where I would get in the shower and it'd be a five-run game and I would get out and it'd be tied. How impressive is it for teams like LSU and Georgia, as we look at the SEC, to just find ways to win? I mean, just to win, period. How important is that for those squads? Yeah, it's it gives them so much confidence. And I think you, you said two teams that have a lot of experience um, that – found different ways to win games. And I think that when you do like Georgia wasn't even scoring early in the game, like Georgia found themselves down a couple of times because they were only scoring the fourth, fifth, sixth innings, like late in games, they would just put things together late. And then finally toward the end of the tournament, they start to score early. So Georgia was just finding different ways to win. And I think that when you have an experienced team like LSU and like Georgia, I don't know. You, I think you kind of feel like, oh, we have time. We can score later. But then Georgia flipped that switch of like, okay, we can score later and we can score early because we have this great offense. Um, but I also saw from both of those teams, great pinch hitting um, and just kind of some clutch moments. And I thought that that like offense overall was a theme. But I think that like when you look down into it, like on my field at one point, pinch hitters were hitting 500 with like three home runs. So I love to see all these different, all these different people getting in because it's pre-conference season, the schedule, right. And, and they're getting chances and they were absolutely making the most of them, which I think led to more offense, I think led to more energy. And I think led to, to more comebacks later in the game because coaches were putting in pinch hitters to give it a different look, a different matchup, whatever. And they were coming through. So it made for some exciting games, at least on field nine, which is where all my focus was, because I that's where I was stuck in my little cave there for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, should we be worried about Florida State? They uh, got outscored in two losses by 14, 34 to 20, and had an ERA in Clearwater of 10.50 with a shutout victory. I was going to uh, say, that's yes. with a shutout, yeah. <laughs> so uh, not, not a great weekend in Clearwater for Florida State, who usually does pretty well in that tournament. Um, so some question marks there? I think some. I mean, I, I think if we they gave up that amount of runs, it's like, no, everything's 100%, all good, no worries, and rose-colored glasses, um, then that would feel like, like not being truthful because I think if you give up that many runs, even in a tournament like this, it definitely is going to, to turn some heads. But um, I believe in Lonnie Alameda and helping those pitchers get to where they need to be when they need to be there by the end of the season. Um, and so she'll continue to refer back to the shutout, refer back to the shutouts that um, they've thrown this year and try to keep those pitchers confident um, and, and look back to more all the positive things than those negative games. And I, I truly believe that she's just a good enough pitching coach where she'll, she'll help them. I mean, she's one of the best, right. And she believes in them so much. She'll get them where they need to be. And Florida state's going to have the offense. Um, we know that about them. They'll figure out different ways to win too, but, um, we'll see, we'll see how that, that pitching, uh, staff progresses. 
It is interesting how things cycle though, right? I mean, Florida State for years offensively has been like manufacture, score just enough, get the key hit at the end and find a way to win. This year they've got like a legitimately explosive offense and it might be, you know, it's early, but it might be one of the weaker pitching staffs we've seen in a long time for the Seminoles. And it's just strange how things work like that in this sport. That's not the only example I could think of from this year in past seasons. Yeah, even I was doing the Florida State UCLA game and that score ended up being 14 to 10 that UCLA won. Um, but they're they're kind of in the same boat. They have this offense that can score a lot of runs and a pitching staff that seems like at times is going to give up runs. Now, Florida State has a deeper pitching staff than what UCLA has um, in terms of, you know, actual bodies that are on the staff. Um but I, I think that they're just going to have to find different ways to win than how they've won in the past. Uh, maybe they've relied on that one arm or giving up one or two runs. And I think that that's kind of the cool part about our sport this year is that you're going to see teams find, like I think UCLA and Florida State are prime examples to where it just might be a slugfest. Like their games more often than not might be 14 to 10 or eight to seven, or, you know, like that game with Charlotte to start the season, like, or even Texas tech, like it might be like that. And they just figure out different ways to win, but couldn't help but watch UCLA and Florida state and be like, man, the PAC 12 and the ACC, the door might be open for somebody to sneak in there as um, the regular season champs this year. You mentioned Tennessee earlier. Should Tennessee be concerned with that 0-2 record? Because we've just talked about all the high scoring and they weren't able to put up anything more than just one run combined in losses to Texas and Stanford. Is that a concern or do you just chalk that up to they were facing Kennedy, they were facing a really good Texas team, it happens? Yeah, they unfortunately had to face like the few pitchers or, uh, well, I would say stabs, but Stanford did give up some runs, but Kennedy plus the Texas pitching staff that just didn't give up runs. It was like Tennessee, Washington, uh, Texas, and Kennedy just looked the best of the pitchers this weekend. And so unfortunately for Tennessee, the two teams that they faced, they got, you know, one of the best arms in the country and one of the hottest teams in the country and hottest pitching staffs with the way that they're playing. But um, that I, I don't think that Tennessee should worry. I think that they'll they'll figure it out I think that Gottschall looks great I think that Carlin Pickens looks confident and like her command piece seems to be figured out um compared to where it ended last year so I think that they'll be all good I just I'm sure they're frustrated that they just got two games in this weekend and probably didn't want to leave there with how to win that stinks well I ask you about Kentucky a team that we've often described as an enigma uh one that is hard to track down any year this year after the first weekend, everything looked great, kind of regressed a little bit in Clearwater. Uh, where do you think the actual real Kentucky is this year? I think they're like the team that we saw um, opening weekend. I, I, I think that the way that a lot of teams pitch this weekend is not going to be how they pitch for the rest of the year. Um, at first, you might like if you just focused on Thursday with Tennessee giving up all those runs and they were the only team that did that, you might second guess it maybe a little bit more, but then I think that you look to the next day and how the rest of the teams played. And you probably feel better if you're Kentucky because you saw a lot of other teams giving up runs too. And I still firmly believe that Schoonover is one of the best pitchers in the sec um, and that she can carry a team. And if she can get back into that form that she had last year, Kentucky has a, like to me, all the speed, some good power in there. They have such a nice balance of both of those that um, they can be a, top 20, maybe even a top 15 team when she's pitching really well. Who have we not mentioned outside of the SEC that you feel like was really impressive? I mean, again, it's a shortened event, but some teams had chances to to really make a statement to the college softball world. 
Um, I thought Northwestern actually, um, surprised me a bit. They play really well in this tournament. Um, they're a team that just seems to like get the big hit in the Clearwater tournament and they lost so much. So they're young, they're spunky, like they're fiery. And I know that, um, coach Strohan just really excited about that team. So I thought that, um, they played really well. And then, I mean, like we've already talked about Texas, but I just think that Texas looks like one of the best, like maybe the best team in the country right now, which is hard. Oklahoma is <laughs> Oklahoma is Oklahoma, but like, I just think that Texas is playing like they are absolutely on fire and they just have a different energy about them too. Careful. They'll come after you. Yeah. At a Scarborough on Twitter. Oh <laughs> they're still the number one team because they're Oklahoma. But I mean, like the way that Texas is playing, they're right there with them. That's going to be an insane series in April. I think that they play each other. Mm. Well, that's, let me ask you about another team who's usually in the conversation for number one, but has struggled out of the gate here in the, in the first couple of weeks, went one and one in Clearwater, UCLA. Uh, what is your take on the Bruins and, and how they've started? And uh, is that going to be what they're going to be throughout the year? Or will they continue to try to improve on that? Yeah, Kelly, I, um, their head coach in, in their game and their mid-game interview alluded to maybe some injuries here or there. Uh, that might be hindering them at the beginning of the year. I think just they're going to need some pitching behind Tinsley. Um, Caitlin Terry is going to play a huge part. She is clearly going to get a lot of their freshman pitcher. She's clearly going to get a lot of innings this year. So if she can step up and Tinsley and her can just go at it and she can be the recruit that she is. She's one of the biggest recruits in the country. Pitcher, hitter, she's strong. She threw like left-handed compared to Tinsley being right-handed. I mean, the only concern I see is that. Um, and then just Maya Brady didn't look great at shortstop, um, this weekend. And if you're going to have pitchers that don't have high strikeout numbers, then your defense is going to have to step up, especially at shortstop and make the routine plays and even make the great plays. So, um, that would probably be the only concern I have, but their offense is going to hit. They're going to figure out a way to score runs and win games. Now they might give up a lot of runs, but, um, I think that they're going to be able to hit and score runs with the best of them. Our guest is Amanda Scarborough as we steal second on the Out of the Box podcast. Amanda, you just mentioned Oklahoma a few minutes ago as we look forward to the Mary Nutter this weekend. You can make the argument that suddenly the most intriguing matchup is Oklahoma and Mississippi State. Who would have thought the Bulldogs had a great week down in Mexico and got the doubleheader sweep in the midweek over Louisiana? Could it ironically be? Former Sooner Samantha Ricketts that ends the OU win streak. I wouldn't put it past him. Like, I feel like that Mississippi State team, I mean, they have the most ranked wins in the SEC right now. With just in this week alone, they picked up four. Um, I feel like they're playing really well. And and most importantly of all, they are pitching really well. And Tara Moet, their first year head coach as a pitching coach, like she must be doing a great job with them. They're also experienced. Like she takes in a staff that has thrown, um, or at least a few of them that I've seen, I haven't like tracked everything along the way, but a few of the names that I've popped up, I'm like, yes, that experience I've seen that name before. Um, and they had good stuff before, but it seems like they're off to just such a great start. So I feel like they're going to come up. They're going to be competitive. Ricketts is going to want to win that game. And she's going to know Patty Gasso. She's a hitting coach herself. She's probably studied their swings. Going to be talking with Taryn to come up with the game plan. Like I, that's going to be a great game. I wouldn't put it past them to see if they can figure out a way to win. 
And when you're talking about teams like Mississippi State, Kentucky, Missouri has had a really good start to the season. Uh, The SEC all of a sudden has just become probably the deepest that at least I've seen it in a long time. What's your thoughts on just the SEC as a whole right now uh, really coming out of the gate strong? Yeah, I texted Gray, um, I think maybe the first or second day of season. And I said, the SEC is going to be up this year. And you could just tell, like, there's just a different energy with the teams. I think twofold, I think they got a lot of good transfers. And I think that they have a lot of good recruiting class, specifically pitchers from sophomore year and freshman or that are sophomores this year and freshmen this year. I think those two things combined, I don't know maybe why there were a few years lacking uh, before that, but it just seems like things got serious real fast with the SEC, with transfers and those two recruiting classes, maybe just figuring out what it's going to take to match up with Oklahoma and them just going harder after transfers or going harder for the out-of-state pitcher or um, a a freshman recruit that they didn't think that they could get, but somehow they're able to pull her in. I mean, I think that the pitching is just just going to be better despite graduating – Ashley Rogers and Montana, and I'm sure I'm missing some other people, but, um, I think that the pitching is going to be better. And I really think the bottom of the sec or what in the past has been the bottom of the sec has only gotten stronger with Missouri, Kentucky, Mississippi state, Texas A&M Ole Miss has only lost one game. I mean, the, the record in the sec right now is 101 and 11. They've only lost 11 times with several top 10 wins. The SEC's record against the top 10 is seven and three. Like I was looking at this this morning. It's like, they're just winning and they're, they're winning against good teams. And of course you have some, you know, not as great teams in there too, but they're not losing those games or as many of them. 11 losses and two of them are by Tennessee. Yeah. Cute, but to good teams, right? Exactly. Top right. five teams. Right. Um, yeah. Crazy. So yeah, I think the SEC is going to be really good this year. So the thing that concerns me as we talk about this, because I agree, I think the SEC looks phenomenal this year. I think that the conference race is going to be unreal, like fun, but also terrifying for everybody <laughs> right. involved. But then I think about college basketball, where we've seen like the Big Ten and the Big 12 get 80% of the teams in their league in the NCAA tournament, and they all flame out in the early goings in the postseason. Could the concern for the conference be that the regular season is going to be such a grind that you could have some teams worn out by the NCAA tournament? Because that that could be the only negative I see with this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I just feel like it's already they're just used to it. Like it's always been a grind because the SEC is always one of the top conferences. But like the way that they're playing this year, top to bottom, like I feel like they're the top conference instead of saying they're, Oh, they're one of between them and the pack or them and the big 12, which, you know, the top teams in the big 12. But I mean, I just think that they're used to it. They're used to the grind and it's only going to make them better um, to go down the road facing each other and then make it to the postseason and play some, what seems like maybe easier competition when they get there. As we're recording right now, Florida, Oklahoma state have thrown together a game and then they're playing in Gainesville uh, have you ever seen a high profile game like this just last minute? You know what? Let's just go ahead and play. We're here. Let's yeah. get it. Not to my memory, but I love it. And I'm so here for it because I love that Kenny and Tim are friends and Kenny just shot Tim Walton the text and was like, Hey, you want to play a game? We're open. And they just pulled this together. And I mean, that's hard to pull together because 
you have to get people to go work. Like, I don't think that people understand, like you have to get the paramedics there. You have to get the ticket people there. You have to get the ushers. Like there's a lot more that goes on to make a game happen than just like both coaches agreeing on it. So the fact that they pulled it off all that, all of that, and the fact that it's going to be on sec plus and whatever form it's going to be on, um, is huge props to Florida for getting it done. And Kenny for texting Tim and being like, Hey, let's play. Uh, I think it'll be a great game. A lot of unknowns uh, and new faces on both of those teams. So I can't wait to watch that. And what a coup for Oklahoma State. You know, you had those games canceled in Clearwater and then, oh, you got probably almost definitely a top 25 RPI game that you can just throw on the schedule. Yeah, that's so true. Oklahoma State's going to need to find a way to win games late. Like that's the thing that I noticed about them this weekend. And I thought that like overall, I think Oklahoma State looks good. Um, I think there are a lot of question marks about how they would be coming this season. Kyra Acock pitched lights out against Georgia. She held their offense down for like five innings and probably shouldn't have come out of the game. But Kenny Gajewski had already decided, like, I want Lexi Kilfoyle to close this game and just kind of went with it. And then that ended up actually losing them the game. But Kyra Acock ACOC pitch lights out. Um, I just, uh, we'll see about their defense. They're going to be able to hit. I think they're going to be able to score some runs. They're super athletic. Um, but I, their defense didn't look as sharp to me as where it needs to be. So we'll see. They just need to finish games. Last question, Amanda, before we let you go, Amanda Scarborough stealing second with us here on the other box podcast. So everything that we've discussed has been weird upsets, unexpected results, weird games that are like Football scores, you know, congrats to Florida State for blocking the extra point against Georgia. And it's week two. Florida State wishes they had scored that many points against Georgia in football. Oh, man. (laughs) It it constantly, Amanda, feels like, though, that the outside world, that the casual softball fan who might just be watching their team's games wants to take everything that they see right now in week two as predictive for how the rest of the season is going to go, even though we have years of evidence that show that teams do actually improve as seasons go on. We have said that for years and they don't listen to us. So Amanda, maybe they'll listen to you. How would you address that to the softball fan out there that might have concerns after two weeks of softball this year? I think the best thing to look at is the culture of your team. The teams that have the best cultures, meaning like, coaches who have been there a while, coaches who have figured it out, been to the postseason, believe in core values and mission. Like they end up being better at the end of the year. Like undoubtedly, I'm not going to say this is for a hundred percent of teams because then I'd be lying, but like teams get better who have an old underlying like foundation of what they're about than just wins, losses, stats, all that. So that's when the culture really comes into play and development really comes into play with the coaching staff is getting everybody to buy in. And then knowing that what you're like in February is not going to be like what you're like in May. Like it just is crazy. Even Stanford, Jessica Allister told us in, um, in our coach call with her that we're, we know that we're going to be at our best in May, that we're not going to be at our best right now, but we're not trying to, I mean, they're trying to be at their best right now. I don't want that take taken out of context, but we know that in May we're going to be a totally different team because they're so young and different questions. So, I mean, we hear this all the time with our coach calls, like that, they're not expecting to be what they're going to be like in May and February. And then it's totally normal, but teams with good culture will figure it out and be their best when it matters most. Yeah, absolutely. I bet. Yeah. Think people are allowed to get better as, yeah. as the season goes along. Uh, we see it at Alabama. We've seen it in other sports just this year, the football team, obviously much better at the end of the season than, than the, the beginning 
men's basketball, example. women's basketball. All yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty across the board thing. And then you know, for a team like say Alabama, which you know, kind of one of the reasons why we asked this question is because we hear it the most from Alabama fans, being the Alabama guys. But that when has an Alabama team ever just been terrible? Period. Like throughout the entire season. And to add to it, that's kind of why I'm like, well, eventually UCLA is going to figure it out because UCLA is never just terrible. I refuse to believe that they're going to be a 500 team. No, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And speaking of Alabama, I thought we were going to get to talk about them a little bit, but I love the way that they're playing. Like, I think that this team looks like they have a lot of great energy playing together. Like this team is reminding me of past Alabama energetic play for each other teams, like we're back alive in a way that I haven't seen them in a few years. I feel like this team is, um, I don't know, next level with their energy. I loved watching them play, especially opening weekend and the pitching staff 0.42 ERA up to this point. I don't care who you're playing. That's legit. They're deep. The addition of Caleb Beaver and then your freshman, like I, this team, I, I really like it. Caleb bro, I think is a big part of that. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to take away anything else from the rest of the coaching staff and the players, but I feel like they play competitively and play with the energy of Caleb bro. Um, and I feel that I just, from like, an alum standpoint, you can tell that she's injecting that competitiveness into them and watching them play. Like just coach Murph has to be so proud with how the era started. Cause I think that they look great. Is Caleb Rose still in the seven innings group text? I'm curious, like, or did she have to leave because conflict of interest? I, that's a good question. She's not in there anymore. I don't think, but I also don't think we've sent a text. I mean, it's more like email. I don't think we've been texting <laughs> about it, but I don't think she's on there. No, unfortunately we wish that she could do both. <laughs> Y'all were all together, so you didn't right. need to text. It sure. was fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I, the Alabama team, I just saw a different look in their eye. It seemed like on opening weekend that I hadn't seen in a while. They're fun to watch play. Amanda Scarborough stealing second with us here on the Out of Box podcast. Amanda, always good to see you. Thank you so much for hopping back on. And I look forward to continuing to text you this year about softball and the new season of Love is Blind, which is always a, a delight. And I was going to say, don't forget about Love is Blind. You better be texting me about that, too. Thanks for having me. So that's Amanda Scarborough. Always fun and delightful as always. What a weekend for her. Man, I just I just can't imagine how frustrating as a pitcher it was to be seeing just the ball fly out of the ballpark every other pitch. And like, you know, the first game, 12, 10, you're like, okay, that was that was weird. And then the next day you've got a 20 to 10 game. (laughs) Like, well, this has unraveled <laughs> very quickly. Oh, man. I hope we don't have any unnatural football scores this upcoming weekend and the great games that we have on the slate. Yeah, I'm, maybe one or two just for fun, but like not most of them. I think With a thousand fun. walks pass. Yeah, if, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like if if a lot of the issue this past weekend in Clearwater was a small strike zone, that's fixable. Umpires. Call a bigger strike zone. Yeah, just a little expansion. Done. Every conference is doing it. You can do it too. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry if that mess. You're making the pitchers and the catchers and the hitters adjust the way they play with the pitch clock, adjust the way you call the games if your strike zone is like a keyhole. Boom. Yeah. It's an early off the wall. It is. Sorry. No, you're good. When have I ever needed an apology for an off-the-wall rant from Tom Canterbury? <laughs> Never! Whenever they come, look, you just got to be ready. 
We'll talk about the big games on the other side. When we come back, we'll be rounding third. Mary Nutter, some stuff in Athens, all that and more here on the Out of the Box podcast. We return to the Out of the Box podcast. It's time to round third. And Tom, we're going to do our usual thing, perhaps a little hastily. I know this episode is going uh, a little longer than we had anticipated. I know. I know. Big games this week. As we record, Oklahoma State has won at Florida. Big win for the Cowgirls and for Florida, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, the game had not gone final when we recorded. It just means more softball. But the issues remain for the Gators. A disappointing uh, result for Florida to not score any runs here against Oklahoma State in a in a really cool situation where you're able to put this big-time game together on a, on a, on a Monday night. Could have been a big statement type game for Florida. You did out hit them, but you did not outscore Oklahoma State. Hold on. Yeah, I know. But I will point this out. Florida's now lost twice. And in those two losses, Skylar Wallace is a combined 0 for 7. So we mentioned on the air in Atlanta when they lost to Michigan, it appears that this offense can't survive Skylar going over. And, you know, you might say, well, duh, she's their best hitter. But some really, really good teams are able to combat that. There were times when we saw Alabama's of old if Bailey Hempel and Kaylee Tao want to combine over, they still found ways to win. Right. Florida is having a difficult time doing that so far against the really upper teams that they've played. Yeah, that that is that is the big issue. And that's what we think. Because, you know, even if somebody bats, you know, four or 500, they're going to have games where they don't get on base. That so means they, half the time right. they're not getting a hit. Yeah. So they got to they gotta figure out ways if Skylar Wallace isn't on base and isn't knocking in runs to score runs and win games, and we haven't seen that early on. But again, it's week two. Wednesday, big game coming up, Clemson at Charlotte. Can Charlotte do it again? Possible. Maybe a Niner will be mentioned a little bit later Mm. on the show. All right, we're going to pick one each for Thursday. Mary Nutter coming up this weekend. You got some fun ones at neutral sites and on the road. I will let you go first, partner. I'm going to go with the first one you have listed here in Tampa. Oklahoma State taking on Washington. Two teams that now all of a sudden are going to both be playing Stetson in the midweek on the same day. Congratulations, Hatters. Yes, the Hatters will bring them both in on the same day. But, you know, can Oklahoma State continue uh, this hot streak that they're on after getting the shutout win over Florida uh, against a team in Washington, which, you know, when you're looking at that top 25, Washington, one of the teams that's definitely, all right, we know that they're at the top. They're not in that hat that we're pulling people out of after, like, you know, three or four. It was like uh, a clear four across the board. And right. as we record, I'm sure that the ESPN and the coaches poll will have that same four. Washington is among that. Right. So would be a huge victory if Oklahoma State's you know, figuring out a way to do that in Tampa. I will circle Oregon and Baylor at the Mary Nutter. Now, Baylor swept Louisiana twice on Sunday to kind of salvage what's been a pretty clunky first two weeks of the year. Oregon has had a disappointing start to the season. This would be a great opportunity for for either of those squads to get off to a good start. Baylor earlier that day is Notre Dame. Oregon is UCF. I would think both of those teams would win. And then uh, perhaps a, a good little nightcap on Thursday to really propel you into the rest of the Mary Nutter. Friday, Tom. We've talked about it a lot here on the show and on It Just Means More Softball. So Mississippi State plays Oklahoma, the Mary Nutter. Now, if Mississippi State wants to really make the spotlight shine on them, go out there and end Oklahoma streak. Oh, I'm down for it. Dastardly. Yes. Just dastardly. (laughs) 
I'm going to look at a little off the cuff one. I'm going to highlight Nebraska UCLA. These are two teams whose seasons have not gone at all like we thought they would. No. Uh, for di- for various reasons. You know, UCLA is just not playing well. Nebraska, Jordy Ball got hurt, and that sucks. And we talked about it last episode. These are probably still going to be top 50 RPI wins. I think in particular for Nebraska with a UCLA team that is struggling, this is a chance to still pick up what I think will end up being a quality win. So even though UCLA is not playing well, uh, I think even without Jordy Ball, the Nebraska might be able to hang. And that feels like a chance that they can't miss on that Friday. Yeah, because Nebraska has gone from, you know, the favorite to win the Big Ten to now are they going to make the NCAA tournament without Jordy Ball? Again, even if it's a somewhat down UCLA team right now, a win over UCLA would look great on the resume. Absolutely. Saturday? Uh, we talked about it again on It Just Means More Softball, but South uh, South Alabama taking on South Carolina. Uh, if Olivia Lackey is in that ball game, which I think she would be in Columbia, could be a tough game for South Carolina, but if they're able to get that win, uh, could make you feel a little bit better about the game class. Stanford or Texas? Yeah, well, then that one. Yeah. <laughs> so Texas smacked Stanford, but no, no Nyjah, no Kennedy. Now we're out of clear water, and I bet you a good amount of cash that Kennedy's pitching this game. The ball doesn't quite fly out of Austin like it flies out of clear water. It does not. This is, to me, Texas's claim at number one. If they go out there and they rip Kennedy apart, then I think Texas has a legitimate shot to be number one, and I might vote for them. I, I don't know. Obviously, we'll see what else happens that weekend. But that would be probably the most impressive win anybody's had if they're able to do that, and I think they have the offense capable of doing that. Yeah. Flip side, Stanford, prove that Clearwater was a fluke. Have Kennedy shut Texas down, get some hits on this pitching staff. You saw Tegan Kavan. See what you can do against the other arms that Mike White has. Not as many options on Sunday, Tom. Yeah, not so as much happening. You do have Oklahoma playing two games, one against Notre Dame and one against LMU. You took two of the five? I did. Because oh. there's not much else. But, yeah. uh, you know, if Oklahoma is able to get past Mississippi State, I don't think they can just totally relax with these two matchups on Sunday. I guess I'll take Tennessee-UCLA because it's on MLB Network, tape delayed. So what that's fun. on MLB Network where they can't show that live? I don't know. Like, what else are they doing? I mean, spring training, I don't know. I don't think the games have started yet. I don't know. Like, it started, but I don't know if they're doing actual games yet. Come on, MLB Network. Right. People are going to turn that on and be like, why is it daylight? <laughs> it's nighttime. What do you mean? But hopefully as well, because I remember there was weather last year in the Nutter. Hopefully the Nutter gets a yeah. good weather weekend. Uh, softball needs one of these big tournaments to play all their games like they're supposed to that's for sure yeah do you think there's any shot ucla wins that game what would you put I the mean, percentage chance i would go like 15 percent. yeah i mean there's a shot i put it maybe a little higher than 15 but not a whole lot higher but i mean tennessee needs to have a good mary nutter before that happens too right the games they played they did lose them both in clear water so you know get the mojo get going back the right way are you ready to pick a player of the week. Sure. It's time for the ACL player of the week. We got seven nominees. Tom will pick two finalists. We'll pick a winner. Bing, bang, bong. Here are the nominees mm-hmm. for this week. Lena Elkins, Charlotte. Eight and two thirds innings pitch, four hits, four runs, one earned, four walks and eight Ks in seven innings against Canisius. 
her second career no-hitter. Shout out to Lena Elkins. Sydney Barnett from Loyola, Chicago. This was before the bubbly invitational got just monsooned in Gainesville. Too much bubbly. Yeah, just put, put that stopper on the <laughs> bottle. Two for six, four RBIs, a homer, four Ks, and a run scored. You might say, what? That's it? Well, one of those two hits, all four of those RBIs, and the home run came in a game against College of Charleston where Sidney Barnett drove in the only runs in a 4-0 win with a sixth-inning grand slam. Ivy Rosenberry, Oklahoma State, seven innings, six hits, no runs, three walks, five Ks, four innings of scoreless relief against LSU. Why is Ivy on here? Congratulations for escaping Clearwater with an ERA of zero. That Yeah, you, if you pitched one inning and had <laughs> zero, you did good. Pitch seven and, and not give up a run. Really impressive. Including to LSU, who right. hit the ball real well. Yes, LSU is one of those teams winning games with double-digit runs. Sydney Stralo, Minnesota, one for five, RBI, four walks, two Ks, two runs scored. By the way, a lot of the stats, a lot of people lost games this week. If you were in the state of Florida this weekend, your games did not exist on Saturday and Sunday. Correct. But Sydney did her little business before on Friday in a walk-off to win 12-11 to 11 over Georgia Tech. Grace Kilday, speaking of walk-offs, from UC Davis, three for eight, two RBIs, two strikeouts, and a run scored at the walk-off RBI single to beat Mississippi State. Speaking of Mississippi State, Jesse Blaine, seven of 17, seven RBIs, a homer, two doubles, two walks, four Ks, four runs scored, drove in the only runs in a 2-1 win over Louisiana, and last week I talked about the amazing story of Kendall Daniel getting her first opportunity two years after a near-fatal car accident this past weekend against Mississippi Valley State. Five innings, no hits, no runs, two walks and two strikeouts. In her third career appearance, two years after almost losing her life and having the odds stacked against her, ever playing softball again, she gets her first career no-hitter. Wow. Unreal. Yeah. All right, so... I'm going to pick the final two. I'm going to say, you know what? If you threw no hitter, you're a finalist. So Lena Elkins from Charlotte and Kendall Daniel are your two finalists. I think the story wins here. Kendall Daniel is your player of the week. I want to make sure we highlight Ivy Rosenberry for not allowing any runs in Clearwater. But it wasn't a no hitter. That's true. (laughs) It was an all in the same game. Kendall Daniel is your ACL player of the week. Very cool. You ready to head home? Sure. The people have questions. I don't know if I have any answers, but we'll try it. Well, we have one answer, and that's no. We don't know about Alexis DeBoer because we know she's going to Washington. Right. She is signed to play there. Oh, my gosh. We'll head home when we come back here on the Out of Box Podcast. Gray, Tom, what an episode this has been. Just like we're really throwing the people on a roller coaster ride of segment length, which is which is great. Yeah. You know, that's that's what we do. Some are for, you know, a quick stroll to the mailbox and others (laughs) are if you're driving halfway to Atlanta. (laughs) But, that you know, that's what happens when you have a podcast where we have bullet points, but it's not like we pre-script everything right and it's so. also like a podcast within a podcast but then another podcast correct our lives are kind of insane right now but whatever it's great who who made this schedule uh, me oh, <laughs> it's me right. yeah, right. and as your boss okay. i say keep it going <laughs>
Wow. Uh, like and subscribe to the Southpaw America YouTube channel so I can pay Tom. All right, it's time to head home. Cool, Chris, $50 bill at some point. Indeed. Hey, you know what? $250. Ooh. Let's go. It's time for the mailbag. I put out the call. I said, lend me your questions. What do you want to know? We'll do what we can. <laughs> right. So the very first question, I was like, we got it. We, we're doing this now. Uh, and I saw this. And perhaps we'll mention it on off the wall because it was all anyone was talking about mm-hmm. for whatever reason. <laughs> um, but I think this was like a legitimate question asking about it. Yeah. We'll dive into the more off the wall nature of the questions. Uh, at Blue Water Med, why was Alabama not included in the Clearwater Invitational? It's fairly simple. And I went back and I charted since this event started in 2019. ESPN puts on this event. It invites teams. And they like to cycle out, in particular, the SEC teams. And the Big Ten, a little different. Northwestern's kind of the bell cow. You want them to come. Florida State is kind of a host. They're there. Um, same with UCF. Same with UCF. Right. But for the most part, with the other teams, and specifically the SEC teams, because everybody kind of gets a draw, they cycle teams in and teams out. And some year there are four. Some years only three teams go. But I've got the chart here. No team has ever been in back-to-back seasons, and Alabama went last year, and they will go again in the future. I I can almost certainly confirm that, but you don't go two years in a row. It's just as simple as that. That's the way that goes. Yeah. We're almost to the point for some of these, since there's more bigger tournaments now, Condition Clearwater and Mary Nutter, Judy Garman, there's a bunch of other tournaments out there that – Softball might want to look at going to the basketball rule as far as the tournaments go. Hmm. And the basketball rule is, which I didn't know this until this year, and we got into a scheduled discussion on Twitter. Basketball, you cannot go to the same tournament for a four-year stretch. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I did not know that existed. So a neutral side tournament. Now, obviously, if you're hosting your own tournament or whatever, which there aren't as many of those in basketball that where someone actually hosts it. But, you know, you can host your own tournament and do whatever, but like if that rule applied, you wouldn't be able to go to Clearwater once every four years. Mm. Uh, I'd be interested to see if at some point softball looks at going to that just to kind of even out. And, and the reason why that schedule exists, uh, that rule exists like in men's basketball, Maui would love for Duke to be there every year. Sure. But you want to get Duke in Kansas and right. North Carolina and sure. Gonzaga every single season. Yeah. Uh, but you want to be able to, because there are so many tournaments now, I think for softball, do that. There needs to be a few more. Yeah. But uh, I would not be surprised, maybe in you know five to ten years, if that rule does exist for softball. Fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. But I hope that that provides a little bit of clarity. Yeah. From SID underscore Nate. Who have you heard of him somewhere? He is laughing. Where he's tweeting apparently. <laughs> Which team outside the top eight this week is most likely to earn a top eight seed in May? So as we record. Uh, the usual poll that we use to chart upsets has not been released. That's ESPNs. That's because when we started this podcast, that was the only one we had data for in 2018. Yeah. Uh, we will use for this discussion the poll that I vote in, Softball America's Top 25. And uh, Tom, we're looking at the list outside of a top eight. Who do you feel is most likely to earn a top eight seed come May? I think I, I have my answer. Yeah. I think, I think well... I think it comes down when it comes to picking it, teams. To... Tom is not. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to go Oklahoma State. Mm. Um, maybe that's just the recency bias of them beating Florida today. Would not be stunned if it's Stanford, if it's Alabama, if it's Florida State. 
But if I had to pick one right this second, I'd say OSU. It's totally cheating because they're number nine, but I my pick is Clemson because I think they're going to win the ACC. And I would be surprised if the ACC champ is not in the top eight. Right. Yeah, that's true. If my uh, preseason prediction in the SEC uh, comes to fruition, I don't think a team that finishes second in the conference like South Carolina wouldn't be a top eight team. Ooh. And they're sitting there at number 20 right now in that softball American poll. How do you feel about that preseason prediction? Not as confident as I was yet last week, but it could easily be swayed back the other way with a good performance this weekend. From at Seth Oliveris, Alabama, Missouri, Georgia, Texas A&M, and LSU are all undefeated two weeks into the season. Who, if any of them, who, who? will still be unbeaten by the time conference play rolls around? You can lose to anybody. Right. And I would, if I had to place a bet, I would probably say none of the above. Right. Just because I don't think anyone, like I, I don't trust softball as a, as a whole. Right. I don't um, trust any of you people. However, I did put the quote unquote trappy losable games for all five teams. And I would say probably the team that has the best shot at getting out of this undefeated is LSU. You know, you've got Boise State twice, Houston twice, San Diego State twice. Those are their hardest games before the first conference series. Alabama's got Arizona twice at home. It's at home. That's good. Uh, that is certainly losable with how Arizona's playing. And I think South Alabama, Philippia Lackey is one of those games. That's losable. I don't see Missouri. I don't see Georgia. And I'm not sure I trust A&M as much as I do LSU or even Alabama. Yeah, I think it comes down to Alabama and LSU. If I had to pick one, I'd actually pick Alabama. Okay. I think that's totally fair. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I would be. I, I don't know if anyone's going get, to get through unscathed. I just don't think it's that kind of year. No. Especially not in this league. At Colin underscore Dean. Colin written like Baton Rouge. Uh-huh. Colin Baton Rouge. What happened in Clearwater? I want to point to different balls being used or umpires or something. But then there were normal scores in some games. Texas, Tennessee, and Kennedy seemed just fine. Umpires or is pitching just that much of a struggle bus right now? I think Amanda did a really good job explaining that and talking about something that I think we've experienced in the FGCL and in the summer leagues. You know, when we talk to these pitchers and I go up and I ask them, what do you throw? They'll list like nine things. It's like, well, you can't be elite at all of that. That's impossible. Uh, And I thought that was a really good point made by Amanda. Also, the ball thing, it's fairly real, and that has to be addressed. When when you're having coaches talk about it during their in-game interviews that, you know, you're using a different ball than you're using pretty much anywhere else, and it is made to fly out of the ballpark, uh, you're going to have people knocking it out of the ballpark because these are elite hitters. Uh, in addition to the elite pitchers. Now, that being said, there aren't as many absolute shutdown pitchers in the field in Clearwater this year as there has been in the in the years past outside of Tennessee and Texas and Stanford. Right. So I think the fact that you had normal scores in those games shows you, yeah, if you had an, an absolutely elite pitcher, doesn't matter what the ball is, doesn't matter all this kind of stuff. But, you know, if, if you're having somebody that's trying to fine-tune something or they're having trouble fighting the strike zone – which is way too small, there there can be issues. And I would say there was a little rumbling, not necessarily as loud this year, but there was some rumbling about the same kind of thing last year when we were in Clearwater. And to your point, the Cat Sander Cox, Montana Fouts, like the actual aces that were there were still fine. Right. So I, I think 
it's something to monitor. You've talked about this multiple times throughout this episode. Now, if it continues these high scoring games, these home run trends, if that is prevalent everywhere at the Nutter in a few weeks of a Judy Garman, even in Birmingham this weekend, right. uh, I, I think that that is really a cause for concern as a whole and makes Clearwater look like less of an outlier. Um, but if the home runs stop and everyone's ERAs sink yet again, then uh, Clearwater is going to look like a yeah. disaster. Right. And so all that said, everybody should be using the same ball mm-hmm. everywhere. If, if this can make that much of a difference, definitely everybody should be using the same ball and umpires call strikes. Yeah. For goodness sakes, call strikes. Yeah. I don't understand the the mindset of these umpires that are like, it has to be over, like it has to be the entire ball over the, well, okay, then then we're going to have scores of 20 to 10 because they're either going to hit a home run or they're going to walk. And that's not what softball is. No, it's not indicative of how good some pitchers are. Right. Like it says, or is pitching that much of a struggle bus right now? I No, I don't think it's like that no. at all. We talked about Sydney Brazon earlier on Michelle, her ERA is north of four. That is so inflated. Like, right. She's too good for that. Right. It's crazy. At Teske underscore Monica, many crazy things happen this weekend in softball, but what surprised you the most? I think you could maybe say the quote unquote, the preseason at least projected bottom of the SEC, how good they're playing yeah. against some really high level opponents. My answer is more specific. It's Mississippi State hitting Kegel. I was not expecting that. Right. At Annie Pride 99, is it possible 12 of the 13 SEC teams host a regional or will conference play knock a few out of the hosting bubble? So it's interesting. Uh, I think it depends. First off, 12 would be nuts. Like there's no chance 12 do, but you could have half of the teams hosting a regional be from one conference if the committee puts a big emphasis on what you do in the non-conference right which they have yeah and Um, and if that's the case then that is very feasible that it could be at least eight yeah i 12 is uh, probably not but yeah eight to ten maybe and i think we're in a situation right now where all 13 make the tournament easily yeah easily again from colin underscore dean are y'all worried about any sec teams come conference play been really impressed with 11 or 12 out of the 13 don't know what to think of auburn and don't really see how the very bottom of the conference can compete with the upper two thirds. Uh, I disagree with the last part of that. I'd say, I'm about to say, I think we've, we've I'm, discussed. I'm worried about everybody. Yeah. And especially if Ole Miss goes into Clemson and wins this weekend, I'm my whole ideology of the league this year shifts. And I think also, you know, we're talking about, I don't know. I can't remember when you mentioned it, if it was during uh, this podcast or it just means more softball. Uh, but you know, the winner of this league could have eight, nine losses. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's insane. No. And I think a lot of these teams, now that we were saying the beginning of the year, watch out, they might be able to win one of one game of the series. They won't get swept here. It's hard right now for me to say anyone is a definite, any series is a definite victory for anyone. I would totally agree with that. I, I and, don't see how that would even, I, I don't know who that team would be. No. And in a lot of ways for the SEC, that's good for the game in and game out every week to be watching, but for the overall seating purposes that could knock a few more teams off the bubble, like to refer back to the previous question. From Matt Brady Vernon, what is the Ooh. best donut and why is it pink frosting with sprinkles? I'll hang up and listen. Huh? Is that 
where your heart lies. I don't mind a pink pink donut with sprinkles. Probably I would not say my favorite. I do have my more most controversial oh no take on donuts and maybe on anything that whoa yeah do you realize that we have six years of audio where we can right. comb through and compare because I the reason why I say this because I think I first said this like before COVID and I know it's been that long wow and I still get it get people referencing it I like a Krispy Kreme donut like two or three days later more than the hot and now. Not that I'm anti-hot now, but like if the last two or three donuts that are in the box, like two or three days later, when you've given it time for everything to really soak into it, <laughs> not before it gets stale. You got to get it before it gets stale. But I, I actually like that a little bit better. You're not insane. Okay. You're a little crazy. Like just what's wrong with the next day? Why does it have to be two to three? It doesn't have to be the next day because you haven't that need that extra 24 hours for the soakage. <laughs> The soakage. Right. Oh, no. But even that's not my favorite donut. My favorite donut is the custard field chocolate donut. Okay. I am not, I don't want anything in my donuts. You no. Like nothing field? No. I don't, I don't want. Raspberry? Strawberry? No. Out. I like the uh, Krispy Kreme like crullers, like the sour cream. You know, the, the oh, old no. fashions are labeled old fashioned right. donuts. Yeah. Those are typically my favorite. Uh, but, you know, I'm not above a specialty donut every now and then. I'm do, a donut shop. I do like a sprinkle. I like chocolate instead of the strawberry, but I like strawberry too. So Brady's not crazy either, right. but not my favorite. Do you label your donut take more or less controversial than your, I think, 2021 tweeted Beyonce take? Oh, wow. Wow. You know that? Yeah. Did the Bayhive hunt you down? <laughs> I, Yeah, no, those are probably one and one A. They're very close to okay. each other. I'm not going to make you say the Beyonce one because there are, I know that people, we, we don't want to rile them up. We don't want to poke the hive. I mean, Beyonce is overrated. What? Aaron, what is your now favorite? She's doing country. What's happening? Well, I've, I've discussed that. What is your favorite place to eat around Tuscaloosa? Uh, we're going to answer this, but I did want to point out big bad breakfast now open. Yes. So I haven't been there yet. Yeah. I have not been there either. Um, maybe we can do like a Tom's Hungry before midweek or something. Sure. What are you doing Wednesday? We got a three o'clock game. Someone's got to eat breakfast. <laughs> you probably be us. All right. Uh, your favorite place to eat around town? Wow. Baumhauer's is always high on the list. Avenue Pub yeah. and Southern Outhouse probably be my top three, depending on the order, depending on the day. So Urban Bar and Kitchen has opened downtown in the last year or so. I discovered it like two months ago. Yeah. And so good. The pimento cheese bacon poppers are just like fire and really good chicken. And they've got a great pasta as well. Uh, So I'm a big urban bar and kitchen fan. Avenue pub can never go wrong. New location across the bridge as well. And, you know, the usual places. Five is good. Chuck's is good. The Palmas. Palmas, You were just there with your lovely wife. Yes, indeed. And uh, speaking of your lovely wife, happy birthday to Jennifer as we record tonight. Thank you very much. Yes. So, yeah, lots of good places to eat around town. Yeah. Sometimes we forget about it, though, because especially this time of year. Yeah. I'm not eating out. I don't have time to go. And like, thank goodness your wife's birthday fell on a holiday. Right. And Valentine's Day was on a day where we didn't have a game. This was at... I believe this is the first time in four to five years that I've been home for both Valentine's Day and Jen's birthday. 
That's a yeah. Took advantage of it as you should yes. have. And congratulations to you. So again, happy birthday, Jennifer. And thank you, Jennifer, for letting me have him as we record because we had <laughs> we we had a lot to do tonight. A lot is happening. Finally, at Oscar Lerma, who wins the Red River Rivalry Series this year? No, I am not falling into the trap. I will not make a pick right now. I refuse because I know that this is a trap. This is bait. It's a trap. I'm not doing it. So I will abstain from the answer. We'll come after you. I For not making a pick? Come on. No, because by not making the pick, you are disrespecting the number one team in the nation. I want to see more. We have two weeks of evidence. The, yeah. the season is quite Should long. Be enough. Should be enough for you. Oh, my gosh. How dare you. He's tying run at the plate in the sixth. Insinuate that Oklahoma might lose a game. How dare you? I'm not doing it. You just did. I'm not. Do, do you? Too are late. you gonna do it? Maybe. Well, you uh, have to do it now. This is the last question. You want in the same segment? You want to say Oklahoma might lose and Beyonce is overrated? <laughs> this will be Tom's final podcast because we found him in a ditch and Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> now or better on the third day you just want me to get taken out just hit unsubscribe <laughs> at this point we've been canceled speaking of canceled play the drop it's time for off the wall stop complaining when we win you know differentiating between facts and opinions people i've seen enough to know that i've seen too much the conspiracy heard round the facebook Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Yes, Tom. Alabama went. 5-0, 5-0, and but crazies were out. And you know what? They had a little fodder. I'm not going to lie. They had, Sunday in particular. Sure. Uh, we talked about it. But Perspective, but sure. Some people Got took it, it a little, little too far. Yeah. And that's where we come in with the off-the-wall segment. So, partner, what you got? Do you want to... Save it for the end. That's the well, last one. Sure. No, not that, but the, uh, the streaming... Yeah, we should let's, talk about let's it. Let's talk about that one. I've got a couple things to say here. First off... Uh, this weekend, a lot going on. Uh, thank you to Jess Perret for tweeting and pointing out that Alabama from Friday to Sunday had 10 sporting events on campus. I Goodness saw that and I was like, and that was without gymnastics being here. Right. Can you imagine? And tennis was on the road too. Yeah. Well, we escaped. We survived. But when that happens, something is getting single can. And it was baseball's home opening weekend, and you're not putting single cam on the 11 a.m. ESPN men's basketball game or the Iron Bowl women's basketball on Sunday. No, right. So uh, that's just how the schedule worked out. It is what it is. Stop asking about it. Move on. We had a little issue on Saturday for the second game. There was an audio snafu. I don't know the full mechanical reasons for it. My assumption is uh, that the music that some folks were hearing as they turned on the stream was because like right as we went on the air, men's basketball went off the air and that there was some kind of cross wiring. And this this was an audio issue that was only on the SEC network stream. Right. This was not, that was because they were on both Saturday and Sunday, SEC Network Plus used our radio broadcast. Correct. 
Radio was great right. based on all accounts. There was no issue with radio, uh, with over the air, and there was no issue with the MeTV 97.5 app. Correct. So we got that going. And we got let know. Yes. People informed us about the music. And we appreciate people letting us know. Yes. Because that's the only way we'll know. Correct. Similar to when, you know, on opening day, we had the issue. We're not listening to ourselves. Right. Well, yes. I mean, we are, but we're not listening to the broadcast. It, it is the the manner with which people inform us that I sometimes want to pull my hair out about. So here is what is great. Hey, Gray, over text, Facebook message, Instagram DMs. A lot of people did this. Hey, Gray, I'm not sure what y'all can do, but we're hearing this music on the stream. Uh, just wanted to let you know, etc. Uh, or just even letting Alabama know because SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan did text us. Apparently there's some music going on, you know, putting in, Hey, there seems to be something with the music. Can y'all fix yeah. this? Not acceptable. This is crap. <laughs> A comedy of errors. The hell is going on. Incompetence galore. That does nothing. Yeah. It does not help. Especially if you're putting it in a Facebook group, shout out to the fan page. Like the, the folks who were complaining to air, we don't check that. No, I there's like I first heard about this thanks to a text from Sydney Little John Watkins, and then I saw people had tweeted directly at us mm-hmm. uh, when I looked to confirm because I always look for a second source because sometimes it is user error. Right. I don't check the Facebook group during the game. That's nuts. Why would I do that? I'm working. <laughs> You're yeah. working. Yeah. If you put your complaints in to air to no one in particular to no one who actually has any power to fix things, right? Then don't expect it to get fixed. You are not the reason why things were adjusted. Things were adjusted because people knew who to go to and it was us and they contacted us directly. If you say, Gray, I don't have your number. Gray, I don't know how to get in touch with you. Very easy. In the fan group, just click me, message me. I get the notification. My Facebook message notifications are on. Same with Twitter. I think DMs are weird now because of the X, but my DMs, I would like to think are open. And if yeah. not, just tweet me directly. And if you do have my number, shoot me a text. I I would rather have that than yeah. whatever else. Or on Instagram. Like I am an extremely, possibly dangerously public person. <laughs> I am literally everywhere. Yeah. Hit up me, hit up Tom, hit up one of us. Uh, that is much more constructive than what some of y'all were doing. Just going berserk. And also, point of order. We are only hearing what is happening over the air radio wise that's that's all what we have control over so it's not like we were hearing music in our ears and we're just ignoring it we don't we can only hear what's going over the air on the radio that's why we didn't know about the streaming issue last weekend right and that's why we didn't know about the streaming issue with the audio on the sec network plus broadcast on saturday but there it, it has to go through so many different conduits and syndication for lack of a better term if you're thinking about it like if there was an issue, say there was an issue with Jeopardy's airing at three o'clock on CBS 42. Okay. It would do no good to yell at Ken Jennings because he is not controlling the syndication of Jeopardy. We do not control when other people grab our audio and use it Mm -hmm. as far, you know, for streaming and that type of purposes. So Letting us know so we can let people, the people who are in charge of that is is helpful. But screaming at me, Tom Canterbury, fix this, not helpful because I'm not in control of it. Right. And just not being nice about it. You know, like, like, do I want to put out a, a product that isn't? No, no, I'm so excited because the best part about multi-platform excellence is we get to tell the stories of Alabama 
to the outside world and we get to tell St. Thomas's stories and Virginia's stories and the Screaming Eagles. Hello. Right. We get to tell those stories to the Alabama people who are like, what is a St. Thomas? Right. What is a Tommy? Yeah. I hope that everyone who listened learned something yeah. from our discussions. We don't want the product to be bad, yes. but there is a way to go about it. It's not hard not to be a dick. It's really not. Be surprised. Like just... Please. I mean, these technical issues, that also, first time that's ever happened in the many years where we've had a couple games be multi-platformed excellence, like Wednesdays will be, by the way. Some of the stuff I saw, like, yes, there have been two never-before-happened issues in in a two-week span. Right. That the odds of that happening are very, very low. Yeah. That does not mean that everything is shite, as the Irish say. (laughs) I was very, very perturbed. Yeah. Um, all right, the actual softball stuff. I, I wanna I wanna address something about the Alabama offense. We talked about like the tangible stuff. I want to talk about some of the intangible stuff. We saw a lot of comments like this. So far, we can't hit the ball. Here we go again. RTR. We've said this for years. Ending a comment that is derogatory with RTR does not negate the derogatoriness right. of the comment. This is a whole new philosophy, a whole new thing that these Alabama hitters are working through uh, a new type of approach a new way of coaching with adam being the sole voice and we've discussed in the past how typically it is year two where the hitting coaches really see an improvement at their schools you often see it at the tail end of year one but immediately that almost never happens and i have stats to back it up from chris Malvo at tennessee and i'm sure we'll have it with dj gasso we talked about arkansas's offense earlier it's not rip roaring right. like people thought it would be this year yeah uh that's because when you change something as integral as a philosophy of mechanics and everything and hitting it's not going to automatically lead to somebody hitting 400 and a team being 200 points better batting average wise than they were a year ago. That's not realistic. So the most important thing right now is that you see improvements in approach that you see players who are bought into it, knowing that the results will eventually come because more often than not, they will. And to judge Adam or bro or anything about that after two weeks is not fair. It's not fair and it's not real and it's not how the sport works. And if you think I'm just coming out with stuff out my butt, I'm not. Again, we have the data and I can pull the numbers for you, but I've been ranting for too long. <laughs> and as always, I continue to push back on the Alabama can't hit narrative from previous years too. Yeah. You know, it's important scoring runs and right. doing so more than the other guys do. Correct. Who cares how you do it? That's how the game, the game plays. <sighs> yeah. Do you have anything else before we get to just the most hilarious comment we've had in years? <laughs> I I think I'm ready. Okay. Let me pull it up and I will read it in its entirety. I feel as though. This is a real thing that happened. Am I taking crazy pills? Is this the thing that's happening? Might not be you, partner. Please teach your radio play-by-play announcer how to say Alabama or replace him. Can't listen to another minute. Former Department of Defense voice and diction coach and native Alabama citizen. Three exclamation points. So grammar not included in some of the teachings because there were some commas missed. Tom, as the Alabama play-by-play announcer for radio, unless he's talking about me in the third inning, and then this is possible. This is funny. Either way is funny. But your take and your response to this man 
or woman. I'm not going to say a name, but I totally could and probably should. How am I saying Alabama? I I, I serious Alabama. Eh. Like that's what the hell? Again, my family. My dad was born in Leeds, Alabama, in 1948. Home of Bat Bass Pro Shops. Yes, <laughs> and Bucky's. I've known of the state of Alabama my entire life. Moved here when I was 11 in 1991. I've never once been accused of not pronouncing it correctly. (laughs) Got degrees from the great learning institutions of the city of Tuscaloosa in the state of Alabama. Including Alabama. Including Alabama. Got two degrees from the University of Alabama. One from Shelton State, one from Central High School. With with honors. Tom's like, I had swag and juice. Yes. I was going for 40. I appeared on Jeopardy. <laughs> you did say we out though. On Jeopardy. You're, I did. I That's Tiffany, okay, but you were on the show. I Tiffany Green right out of there with my third place check. But I was there. I met Alex and everything. I, I've been the Alabama play-by-play guy for now 10 seasons. We did a whole thing. A whole thing. We did a whole thing for it. This is podcast number 75. Officially. Officially. That's a new one. I I feel as though, though, I've made it now that someone is calling for my job for something totally crazy. I had that happen. It was great. And I was like, I said, if someone's asking me to comment on issues that are irrelevant to what I'm posting about, does that mean I've made it because they just want my opinion on something? I think I saw that. Yes. What does that have to do with like, what? What? Tweeting about, tweeting about like South Carolina Bradley Blimpede. What are right. you doing? What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. I think you have. Thank you. And I I'm just want to say that I've been holding it in for eight years. I've always been bothered by the way that you've said Alabama. And I'm glad somebody finally voiced this take. I noticed it back in 2017. And I was like, man, this guy. I literally say it the way you just <laughs> said it. That's how you pronounce it. Please say it again. Alabama. I did not put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Alabama. Alabama. Do I have to go full Forrest Gump? Greenbow, Alabama. But he only capitalized B-A-M. So right. This is the dumbest thing we have covered. And we have read comments for people who thought junior high teams would beat a college softball team. And this wins. We've had someone insinuate that Patrick Murphy was throwing games to allow other teams to make the NCAA tournament. And this wins. This is the worst. This is the worst one we've had. The junior high team, not even over 500. No. In junior high softball. 16 and 16, we'd looked. We found them (laughs) because we're good at our jobs. Why? What are we doing? (laughs) Well, I'm... Of all the things to complain about, right. you and I have our faults. Saying Alabama is not one of them. I have mispronounced so much. Shout out Penn State, yes. newly ranked in the SA polls. If you're going to get after me for mispronouncing things, Alabama should not be the number one thing. No. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll grant you, yes. A pronunciation guide is helpful. I rarely look at them. You're doing a lot of other things. It's fine. I usually am like... I'll, I'll assist when needed. <laughs> I've never thought about, hmm, I might need to assist on Alabama. 
which is not listed in our pronunciation guide because everyone knows how to pronounce it. Nate, if please, you're listening, please. I really, I, I have, look, it's a midweek. You're, it's one off game notes. Nate, please put Alabama in the pronunciation guide right above Abby Dukeshire. Please. I will frame that right especially, now. Especially considering it's both Alabama and North Alabama in the same game. I'm going to really upset a lot of people. Lions. <laughs> Thank you. Tide. <laughs> that I is big. T- <laughs> uh, I'm glad he's not going to be listening anymore because I'm not changing how I pronounce Alabama because it's the right way. Yeah. I don't care how Department of Defense. Thank you. Right. For Thank service, you for your service. But pronunciation of <laughs> Alabama is the least of our issues with the Department of Defense right now. I cannot wait to write a description of what just happened in the show notes. <laughs> this is like, this was a fairly normal podcast. It was fine. And then, and then, and we would not have known this if we had not received <laughs> it from another. So thank you. Please put it in the pronunciation guide. I seriously, Nate, like I'll, I'll give you a $5 bill. I got, you I got your Friday. I got your Saturday meal in Birmingham. I got you. <laughs> I got you. We'll go somewhere for lunch or brunch or something. I got you. <laughs> One more time for the people, Tom. Alabama. You idiot. The school that gave me two degrees. The University of Alabama. <laughs> what if it was me, though? <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> Alabama. Alabama. All that is correct. Yeah. Alabama. Alabama. We need to finish this podcast. Tom, if they want to see you tweet, usually about Alabama, <laughs> about who? <laughs> the Crimson Tide of Alabama, T. Canterbury RTR on the X or the Twitter. <laughs> RTR is the phrase for what school? <laughs> University of Alabama. Okay. I'm at Gray underscore Robertson, G R A Y underscore Robertson, and uh, at out of the box underscore pod on the show's Twitter. Tom, if people want to hear the radio broadcast. Why would they? Because I can't pronounce the name of the thing. How do people tune in to the Alabama <laughs> radio broadcast this weekend? Uh, if you can listen to us over the air on the radio, 97.5 FM, nick975.com, the MeTV975 app. And like you said, we were go- they're going to use our audio on the streaming on SEC Network Plus on Wednesday afternoon, the Tide taking on UNA, but all weekend long at UAB in their lovely press box. Mm-hmm. We will be there for all of it. GoPro right up in my grill. Can't wait. Cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Great show. Thank you to <laughs> Thank you. the commenter. Thank you to Amanda Scarborough. Happy and thank birth- you to the University of Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> I missed two daily doubles in Jeopardy. And happy birthday, Jennifer. Happy birthday, Jennifer Canterbury. Thank you for gifting me this opportunity tonight on your birthday. And I hope that this is an adequate present for me to give to you, wife of my broadcast partner. Because if you could frame audio, this would be what I would do for you and the family. I hope I get you for Secret Santa. (laughs) Ribs, get on it. Oh my gosh, where are we? All right, let's wrap it up. We need to, who, where, Alabama? Thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see you this week, a busy week. We'll be back next week. 
on It Just Means More Softball and the Out of the Box podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe, all things Softball America as well. Help me be able to pay for Tom to get diction lessons so he can say Alabama. Yeah, calling the Department of Defense. For Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. This has been Unhinged, but it's been the Out of the Box podcast and we wouldn't have it any other way. See you next time, everybody. Alabama!